Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. Today is Saturday, November 23rd, 2019, starting at 1.31 p.m. in Denver, Colorado. And this is uh, going to be the, I'm not sure what episode number, but this is the 2020 forecast where we're going to look at the and, and give an overview of the year ahead for the astrology of next year. Joining me today is uh, Austin Kopic and Kelly Surtees, who are here in the studio here in Denver. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining me today, guys. Anytime. Thanks for having us. Yeah, our pleasure. Chronologically, we just recorded our forecast for December yesterday, which was a very light preview of what we're going to be doing today. But today, we're going to give an overview going through uh, quarter by quarter of the entirety of the next 12 months. Yes. So are you are you guys prepared for this? I have many notes. Are you prepared just <laughs> in general, like uh, mentally and spiritually for 2020? Um, getting there. I was, that's gonna be, yeah, like I have. I will be <laughs> thirty-eight days to be fully ready. Yes, thirty-eight. You did some. Yeah, is that how many days? Yeah, I, that was yeah. my quick guess. Yeah, something it's like the twenty-third. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Remember? Okay, like, I'm just impressed with I, your I'm quickness. Looking to be ready by yeah. the uh, by New Year's. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna our plan. This is our plan, and you know, best laid plans. But we're gonna try to go for about forty-five minutes per quarter. Uh, so first three months of the year at the start, then three months, then whatever else. Yes. And obviously, since we're going to keep doing our monthly forecast episodes, we're not going to go into fine detail about every single transit for every month this year, because uh, we're going to do that once we actually get there in our future month ahead forecast. But instead, we wanted to do a very broad overview just to give people an idea of what to expect and what the major transits are next year. Yeah, like the highlights of each quarter almost. And right. then we'll yeah. go into more detail because uh, we'll be still coming at you every month and we'll be able to go into more detail. Yeah, I think of it as a, a tour of the landmarks, like yeah. a cartographic sort of mission. Like a map situation. Surveying the wild terrain. The wild terrain of 2020. <laughs> uh, so is there anything else uh, preliminary-wise that we need to touch on before we jump right into the first quarter and jump into January of 2020? 2020? Maybe two minutes uh, or maybe five minutes on the very larger Jupiter-Saturn cycle framing. What do you think about that? Just in terms of the upcoming conjunction? Well, yeah, just that. Mm. Um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just say something. Um, <laughs> so um, we're at the end of a long couple hundred year cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're very much on the cusp. It technically, the new cycle, by most measures, begins in December of January 2020, and that's a 200-ish. That's the end of a 200-ish year cycle and the beginning of a 200-ish yes. year cycle. Yeah. Um, and those cycles are delineated by very clear conjunctions of two planets. It's not just sort of five-dimensional transcendence imagining. Um, this is a, a way to measure history that astrologers have been using for at least 1,200 years. Kelly and I have both done webinars on that. We have, yeah. And just, you know, that that big change energy, that big cusp is behind um, this year and last year and next year. This, that's where we are in history. It, I think that's a good point to make in terms of the larger context of how 2020 fits into the longer, these longer cycles, like 200 plus years. You know, if you, we're always talking about, you know, 
a two-year cycle that's changing or a 12-year cycle that's changing, and that can be fairly significant. But when you have a 200-plus-year cycle changing, it does create more of that feeling of transition over a longer period of time. And 2020 is part of that because of the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction yeah. in December. Yeah. yeah. Right. So we're at the turning point of a new epoch in history mm -hmm. uh, in terms of longer-term cycles, not just in terms of the 20-year cycle but also astrologers sometimes use it in longer, nearly like thousand-year increments as well in terms of the mutation and the change in the elements. Yeah. 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 So, and that's just kind of behind everything. And everybody's kind of yeah. feeling that anyway. Yeah. And astrology clearly agrees with you if you're feeling that. Yes. It's not just um, a, a, a illusory millennial angst. Yes. Sure. Yeah. There is something behind it. Even though there's plenty of that going around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's that too. And is that the broader, you mean millennial angst, or are we talking about like millenarian angst? In yeah, just years? the general like, oh, oh my God, everything's ending. You know, the the, the general- Millenarianism. Not the, you're not, not talking not about millennials. like- mid twenty twenty Not millennials. Mid-20-year-old angst. The, those are two intersecting phenomena. Okay. <laughs> that could be the title of this episode, actually. There you go. That would be a good title. Yeah. <laughs> millennial angst. <laughs> no, that's poor, not good. Poor millennials. <laughs> All right. That's what I was like. We're not trying to like crap on them. That's that no. wasn't the point. No. Let me throw up the chart. This is our chart. This is our electional chart that we used for the month uh, to get together. Uh, so this is the best electional chart we could find for November. So we decided to use it today with this lovely Venus Jupiter conjunction that's right in the middle of the sky right now. Uh, but let's go yeah. forward and take a look at um, first one of the diagrams that Paula Bellomini made for us. This is actually from our planetary movements calendar, uh, which is a poster actually we're selling this year as we have for the past three years. But it shows where the planets will start in the signs of the zodiac at the very beginning of the year, starting on January 1st. And then over the course of the next 12 months, how far through the zodiac they will get and where they'll end up by the very end of 2020. So it's kind of helpful for just visualizing how fast or how, how fast some of the inner planets are or how slow some of the outer planets are as well as where some of the planets will spend the most time in terms of signs of the zodiac or in terms of different parts of your own birth chart, if you want to conceptualize it that way, uh, as well as some of the turning points where they'll slow down and turn retrograde and then spend a bunch of time in certain signs. So for Mercury, of course, we always get the three Mercury retrograde periods, which we can see in certain signs this year. But also there's a few other retrogrades that are coming up this year, right? There's plenty of retrograde action. <laughs> a little bit of retrograde action. <laughs> we'll yeah. have a lot to say about that. Yeah. Okay. Both yeah. Venus and Mars. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I love about a diagram like this, because I've always used something very similar for my year ahead horoscopes, is that you sort of notice every second year we have either Mar what I what I have started to conceptualize as Mars in a fast year or Mars in a slow year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that we have one year in the zodiac where Mars covers like two thirds of the zodiac, and then the following year Mars only covers about one third of the zodiac because he'll be retrograde, and that's part of t the twenty twenty action, which we'll talk about when we get to that quarter. Yeah, because it's an every two year retrograde. It's yeah. either a retro year or not retro year, and that has speed implications. There's a speed like implication. Yeah. So Mars. You know, some years Mars is going to cover two thirds of your chart, and other years Mars is like in just sort of one quadrant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this and you year, you see that there on your diagram. Yeah, we will get that Mars retrograde in Aries this year. Yes. Uh, so we'll talk about that later in I think quarter three. Mm -hmm. Yes. Any other broad overview? Of course, we can see the clustering of stuff that's happening up in Capricorn this year, and that's going to dominate like a large part of our discussion is. 
Pluto's been there in Capricorn, of course, since the late later part of yeah, yeah. since two thousand eight. Saturn's been in Capricorn for a couple of years now and is in the process of finishing up his trip through that sign this year. And we're also getting the first and only exact Saturn-Pluto conjunction. Yes. Um, but also Jupiter is joining, uh, as we talked about in the forecast last month, Jupiter has joined the party in Capricorn for most of this year as well. And then we'll get Mars passing through there and everything else. Yeah. yeah there is quite an emphasis on Capricorn this year, even a little more than what we've had already. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, any other overview stuff, or should we jump right into the astrology of January? I feel like we're jump. Yeah, we're already sliding in. Yeah, so we might as well yes. jump. All right, let's let's dive in then. Okay, boldly. Bold. So here is the um, planetary alignments calendar. Again, one of other other monthly calendars that we do <coughs> each year that I'm going to release on the podcast website, so you can have it up on your wall. But this is the planetary alignments for January, which shows different dates when certain planets will move into different signs of the zodiac. Uh, dates for the two lunations, the new moon and the full moon, were actually, which are actually eclipses this month, uh, as well as uh, planetary uh, conjunctions and planetary stations, either direct or retrograde. So quarter one of the year, uh, where do we start? Should we start with the Eclipses, the Saturn-Pluto conjunction. I think we have to start with the Saturn-Pluto. I think conjunction. we do. Yeah, that yeah. is the elephant in the room. Yes, yes. And, or what's a better analogy? That's a pretty good analogy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The I, big rock everyone's trying to pretend isn't there. The Saturn-Pluto conjunction is heavy. Sure, it's heavy and it's big, and it's and been it, building for a while. Like it, this is the exact conjunction. Yeah, and but it, it looms. There is a looming quality to it. Let me yeah. th throw up the chart. Yeah. And I will animate and take us first to January 1. Okay. So you can just see like where we start at the beginning of the year, and then I'll take it to the exact conjunction. So here's, let's say, January 1 in the just chart of the day, showing that huge pileup in Capricorn, of course, which we're coming off of. And we talked about a lot in the forecast episode last month. Yeah. And there was there was a lot of good discussion. I feel like we just did yesterday about like Jupiter in, in Capricorn, a lot of the themes going on with that, with the Capricorn stellium and everything else. So people should definitely check that out because there's some carryover from that episode into some of the themes this year. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Let's see. So there's the Capricorn pileup and the exact Saturn Pluto conjunction. What's the exact day of that again? Like January 11th, January 12th, just depending on where people are in the world. All right, there it is. So it's at 22 degrees of Capricorn. Yeah, with the sun and Mercury kind of right Attending. There. Attending, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. There's so many planets in Capricorn that my chart style is like struggling with it, and it's extending like the 10th house it over. Yeah, it's, it's quite extreme. Um, so yeah, 22 degrees of Capricorn, and you're right. So the sun and Mercury meet up and conjoin each other just before that. But also then hit and conjoin uh, Pluto and Saturn right around the same time. Mm -hmm. So there's this huge like concentration of both really far out, slow outer planets as well as kind of quick inner planets all around the same degrees, around 22 degrees of Capricorn, roughly around the same time. Yeah. Yeah. So we have um, that just basically the day, day and a half before 
Um, we have Mercury making a superior conjunction to the sun, which means that Mercury is on the opposite side of the sun from us. And if we follow that line further out, Mercury is in line with Saturn and Pluto. Mm. Right? So it's almost like, uh, so it's not, it's not mm. merely the exact conjunction between Saturn and Pluto, but the the Sun and Mercury are focusing a lot of intention, uh, attention, intention, and thought on that, and it's probably probably deserves that much thinking. Um, yeah, in some ways, I kind of like that Mercury is involved here because it can add a level of uh, articulation or thinking. It can help with trying to process or trying to express some of the material that is being stirred up. I don't know that it'll necessarily be elegant and I don't know that it'll be like light, but it, it, you know, the idea of Mercury with the megaphone or just helping Mercury, Mercury sort of helping give voice to things. Mm -hmm. It'll give it a megaphone for sure. <laughs> like that. I mean, I don't know that it needs help. It's pretty megaphony. Yeah. But well, I mean, you know. um, but that's a good point that what's one of the traditional things that Mercury has always done is um, what it, whenever you, if you have a conjunction or some other configuration in a chart and then you throw Mercury in, it's usually interpreted as like exacerbating or like amplifying whatever it's touching at that time. Mm -hmm. So it's weird that it's hitting that Saturn-Pluto conjunction exactly as it's forming its only exact conjunction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I and on a positive level, that's um, you know, that's a point of concentration for the intellect, for the thinking. Yes. Um, and the Saturn-Pluto conjunction is a a very large, heavy uh, uh it's a it's a large puzzle worth solving. I think mm. of, I don't know, a, a giant labyrinth. That's um, a yeah, like a puzzle that needs solving. I like that. It yeah. requires attending to or the effort and the diligence to yeah. There's a, puzzle that out. It's, it's worth thinking about. Yeah. <laughs> and so we should maybe say something about what the the the, the Pluto. Yeah, what the essential qualities of the Saturn Pluto conjunction is. Um, I'll just say historically. It, Saturn conjoins Pluto at very heavy moments in history, mm. um, basically uh, leading up to in the outbreak of World War One, the division of the world into a lot of its uh, current national boundaries just following World War Two, um, and the last gasp of the Cold War in the early eighties, mm. uh, the beginning of. Um, <laughs> the Reagan era and that sort of last, oh my God, are we all going to nuke each other or not? Um, yeah. And so the that last one was in the early 80s was in Libra. Libra. And this is the first Saturn-Pluto conjunction since then. Yeah. And we're, I think, at an appropriately um, heavy and momentous um, seeming mo uh, period of history. Yeah. I like the piece about uh, what you were saying about the redrawing of boundaries, you know, the redrawing of like power centers or power alliances, if you like. That seems like a relevant thread. Yeah, and, and so from um, from a little individual human um, perspective- yes, there's, which, there's the macro and the micro. Which I take. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there, there's a lot of like, okay, so if the the giant, the game board is shifting, yeah. um, um, where I fall in that, matters you know mm -hmm. i can't necessarily rewrite history um but i can be on well you can be on the right side of history yes <laughs> right and you can also just be like mm, i think that you know i think that's falling that's falling and that's rising and i'll be over here yes and i'm just going to stay out of the way of that 
thing over there, which is, you know, it, it, because it, we're dealing, like you said, Kelly, we're dealing with power. Yeah. And power um, can be very dangerous. It's, well, I always think of power as like a raw force that it's how it's used or the intention that is put behind the power that can make it productive and useful or destructive, basically. Yeah. And I, I think some of it is, I agree completely. I would also add that there's blind power is dangerous. Absolutely. Like an yep. earthquake is powerful and an earthquake probably doesn't hate you. No. Right? Um, <laughs> it's not but, personal. <laughs> but if you're, you know, if you're in its zone, um, you know, that's, that's, that's an issue for you. Yes. And to, to think about it from that personal level that you were alluding to as well, Saturn and Pluto have been together co-present in Capricorn for two years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, from an individual level, if we're thinking about where in our own individual charts is this Saturn-Pluto conjunction kind of coming together, it's definitely a punctuation point, an exclamation point, or an emphasis point, but it is also kind of bringing to a head in some ways topics that you have been exploring or diving into or even already pulling apart over the last couple of years. Yeah, and that's a really good point. This is not new. It's this not is, new, yeah. This is... um. Uh, the, the, yeah, this is a magnifying lens on a dynamic that we've been living with. Right? Yeah. When, when did Saturn first ingress again? It was in December, like December. December 2017. Okay. Yeah. So, so since like two years. Yeah, since December of 2017. And even some of the longer term themes, maybe we might even trace back to the Pluto ingress. Which I think was January 2008, off the top of my head, but don't quote me. Really? Sounds about right. Yeah. yeah, that's really – if that's not right, that's really close. close. The, the only reason I remember is there was a big conference in Australia at that time, and I'm pretty sure the timing was was close to that. So it's like in term of, terms of some of the mundane world events that this has been mm -hmm. building up to, uh, some of the groundwork for that was probably late way back then when Pluto first ingressed into Capricorn, and then especially when Saturn went in what, a couple of years ago now in December of 2017? Absolutely. Because, mm -hmm. you know, Saturn is, I always think about, you know, Saturn's role in the cosmos. He's the last of the visible planets. So there's something about how what he does triggers things that need to be then really made manifest or, you know, restructured in the here and now. Mm -hmm. And that tour of Saturn through Capricorn is like, all this Pluto and Capricorn stuff that's been going on, how are we really going to concretize or clarify the, the, F, the influence of that at the the larger picture kind of level. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, and I, the emphasis, you know, with Mercury and the sun there, I think is really poignant as well. Yeah. And so it's, you know, worth paying special attention to on January 12th at one fifty at night. Um, <laughs> but this is something that's been around yes. and it'll be strongly emphasized off and on throughout the year. Yeah. So I think like, like for me, I know it's important that we all note exactly that it's happening in January, but it's not as though that energy is only relevant for us in January of 2020. Yeah, it's not um, resolved and disappeared. No. Uh, and it on, didn't, on the next day. Exactly. Yeah. It's But it is a, a sense of that peak point within that longer journey of Saturn through Capricorn. Yeah. A pivotal yeah. sort of turning point. Yeah. That we then still hear some of the echoes of throughout the rest of the year. Absolutely. Um, as Saturn continues its journey through Capricorn this year and that for most of 2020 with a brief sort of exit into Aquarius for a little bit before yeah. it comes back into Capricorn and then Pluto will be making its way through uh, the rest of Capricorn for what, another four or five years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Still a few more years. Yeah. Okay. All right, so 
that's obviously one of that's the dominant theme of January is the Saturn Pluto conjunction. Um, it's kind of emphasized by another piece, and I know I don't we don't want to move on completely from Saturn Pluto, but it's not just Saturn Pluto that's happening there, but we also have eclipses taking place at the same time, which sort of complicates things and emphasizes some of that. Uh, cardinal axis. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's um, absolutely a piece of it. The, yes. Um, just a, two days before, we have a, a lunar eclipse, I believe a partial lunar eclipse in Cancer at 20 degrees-ish, Yeah. Um, which is only two degrees away from a perfect opposition to Saturn and Pluto. So that eclipse you know, has the Saturn-Pluto conjunction um, very As much. As part of it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's what it will be gazing at with its reddened eye. Here it is. So it's at uh, 19 degrees of Cancer. Looks like it's the lunar eclipse. Okay. Yep. Let's so double check here. 19 degrees of Cancer, and that's opposing. Yeah, I've got 20. Uh, the Sun. You've got 20. Yeah. Um, what am I missing? Oh, you're maybe right. Maybe some minutes. It does, yeah, it's the minutes. I mean, you'll be in the ballpark if you have 19 <laughs> or 20. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. won't miss it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's so so that means the Mercury conjunction is is simultaneous pretty mm -hmm. much with the Sun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, January is very good about introducing some of the themes of 2020. Yes. Yeah. It makes it very difficult. the 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 sizzle reel is right. uh, is very impactful. <laughs> yeah. There it is. So. And then yeah, the Cancer eclipse hugely significant, uh, but it also echoing threads of eclipses that have been bouncing around through 2019. Yeah, it's like well. this has been happening all year. We had some Cancer Capricorn eclipses last uh, in June and July, mm -hmm. and then at the very beginning of the year, we also had a set of Cancer Capricorn eclipses. Mm -hmm. So these are some themes, and especially in people's birth charts or natal yeah. charts, these are themes that have been activated in those two pairs of houses where it's back, bouncing back and forth between one house and its opposite for the past year, year and a half now. Yeah. And so there are a lot of things we can say about this. And you know, one of them is just that, like we said in yesterday's episode, which you probably won't view these back to back like we recorded them, right. but- <laughs> Um, it's fresh in my mind. Yes. Um, you know, one thing we can say that I think every astrologer will say with absolute certainty is eclipses are triggers for significant experiences and events. Mm -hmm. Um, and in particular with, um, this being in cancer, um, and looking right at the Saturn Pluto, um, I, I think one thing to think about here is that as you're, Looking at big, heavy, historical, powerful things, you know, that's the the, the Capricorn part, the Saturn-Pluto part. The Cancer part is, you know, taking care of you and yours. Um, There's a nourishment like, component. You know, when, when the going gets tough, the tough double down on self-care. Yes. The tough <laughs> or the smart kind of realize that the self-care becomes more important. Yeah. Yeah. And there'll be chart specific things, but in general, it's a moon in Capricorn, or excuse me, it's a moon, moon in cancer, cancer. Yeah. Which is the, the snuggliest of uh, <laughs> That's of true. Yes. It is. There was a snuggle off in Pisces Lost. It was a close second. But yes. Pisces true. Lost, the snuggle off to cancer. I, I, yeah. I find that very hard to believe. I, that's I would tough... like to see some Cancer Moon and Pisces Moon in a room and right. see who is who's really the best at cuddling. I'd like to see it, like some data graphs of, yeah. of how that. Yeah. <laughs> but this, I mean, I love that we just had a conversation about like the cuddle off because it is a contrast to the Capricorn energy that's going on. 
Yeah, I think we can, uh, would we all agree that the Saturn-Pluto conjunction in Capricorn is not snuggly? Correct. Right. <laughs> it's, it would, it, it's the anti-cuddle aspect. It's so dry, you know, Saturn in Capricorn doesn't, like, the pure energy of that is, like, distant or detached or um, hands-off. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so part of that axis and the opposition between the two rulers of that axis are like Saturn and the moon and the notion of mm. like the, the gathering and inclusiveness of the moon as the ruler of cancer versus Saturn as the opposite, which is more of sort of a theme of um, discretion, but also rejecting and excluding things, which sometimes can be positive and necessary. Like mm. when you have to remove things from like your diet or like remove yeah. things that have become unnecessary from your life, but other times that factor can can go too far and you can start, um, especially largely or, or like societally, can start excluding things um, unnecessarily or excluding like groups or other things mm -hmm. unnecessarily. Mm -hmm. And it can become isolating or there can be this feeling of barriers. Yeah, isolationism. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good actually theme. If we're talking about this in a mundane sense, with the Cap Capricorn Cancer axis, is different mm -hmm. themes of like security uh, and and what it takes to create a greater sense of security versus mm -hmm. like sense of like isolationism yeah. as something that goes along with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There are opposite sides of that. And the Saturn Pluto conjunction historically has been very pro barrier and pro wall. Very you know, pro a wall, wall being the. Mm physical embodiment or the 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 phys the archetypal physical structure which creates separation yeah which right. again we're glad we have walls between us and outside because it's cold yes um but one can get a little crazy with walls yeah yeah and and the last major transit of saturn through capricorn 30 years ago there mm -hmm. was a famous uh sort of yeah. destruction of a wall yeah yeah the wall came down the Berlin Wall? Yeah. 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 And, and we can thank Uranus and Neptune. I was going to say, there was a different tone to that Saturn in Capricorn. Yeah, this, yeah the, that Saturn was- um, There um, was a permeability. With... Had, to, had to argue walls with Uranus, who is very contra-wall, and Neptune, who it's doesn't contra -boundary. believe that they exist. <laughs> yes. Sure, whereas Pluto tends to just amplify whatever it's touching and like get, let it go nuts with whatever its normal tendency already is. Yeah. So yeah. if the normal tendency for Saturn is to build walls and create greater sense of exclusion and, and separateness, then Pluto is just going to amplify that and blow it out of all proportion. It, yeah, it makes and that, it and very that, extreme. Yeah, and that and not only is that like good astrology logic, but we can just check history, and it's true every time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, so that's, that's the start of the quarter. Yeah. And and one thing is that what we were already sort of going in this direction and saying this, but because we're starting to move very quickly this year, we're going to move out of eclipses on the Cancer Capricorn axis. Mm -hmm. um, this eclipsing Cancer is going to start to bring to completion and at least enter into the final phases, like let's say a six-month phase of wrapping up some of the changes that have been developing in your life and the part of your chart that the Cancer and Capricorn eclipses have been falling in over the past year, year and a half. Yeah, after yes. this one, there's just one more um, big eclipse on the Cancer Capricorn axis, and it's a solar. So this is the last lunar eclipse in mm -hmm. Cancer. And there is one more lunar eclipse on the Cancer Capricorn axis, but it's so weak. It's a very minor, it's like very partial. weak. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're almost, we're, we're coming to the end of that arc, of yeah. that Cancer Capricorn arc. 
And as a Cancer rising, I'm all for it. You're all for it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, and as a lunar eclipse, maybe seeing some of the end result of that or culmination of events in that area of your life. So people could think about like what house that's falling in mm -hmm. and think of perhaps either the, the end result or the culmination of a series of events that have been building and developing off and on for the past year and a half or almost two years now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so that's a lot of what's going on January. And we're still just talking about like the major stuff happening major outer planet stuff happening in January, but there's some smaller, more localized things we need to mention as well, right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, when's the Uranus station? So Uranus stations, or? yeah, it is in January. It's okay. the 10th, I believe. Yeah. So let me pull that up. So of course, that's basically happening right around the same time as everything else. Here's the chart for that. Which is at 2 Taurus and... This is like the fifth time Uranus has been back at two Taurus, but it is the start of the last part of Uranus at two Taurus. Yeah. So it's not going to get any further back in that fixed sign. So especially if anybody has any planets in very early fixed signs, this is going to be the last very close pass of Uranus over those degrees. Yes. So for anyone with early fixed sign planets. <laughs> But there were a couple of other things in this quarter. I, unless, did you guys want to say more on Uranus? Well, we, we haven't gotten out of January yet. Well, no, we haven't, but we had our list of things. Yeah. Um, February's got stuff. Yeah. March has definitely got stuff. Yeah. We were going to talk about uh, the Mercury mm. retrograde, I think, briefly. Yeah. So January, mid-January, we're only halfway through the Mercury cycle. It restarts its synodic conjunction with the sun right around the time of that Saturn-Pluto conjunction. But then if you go forward, Mercury, after it passes that mm. conjunction with the sun, is moving very quickly. Uh, but then eventually, as it always does, uh, every few months, starts to slow down after it goes into Pisces in February, and it stations uh, retrograde at 12 degrees of Pisces around February 16th, February 17th. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And that mid-February has two important shifts, one being Mercury's retrograde station, yeah, and just the day before, Mars enters Capricorn. So back to Capricorn <laughs> emphasis. It's yes. not been very long, but you know, more planets in Cap. Yeah. Um, and so Mars in Capricorn will take us through the end of the quarter, um, but Mercury's retrograde will be about three weeks. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Mercury and retrograde in Pisces, does it stay in Pisces? There is a little bit in Aquarius, actually. I think the station direct is in uh, about 28 Aquarius. I don't remember the degree. Oh, stations retrograde around 12. So so this is, yeah, this is another one of those ones just yeah, like a year ago. Yeah, remember last year? <laughs> that last year was annoying with the, the Mercury retrograde where Neptune was all tied into it. Yeah. And this is another one of those where it's stationing within or above a conjunction with Neptune. Yeah, I don't know that it's, I don't think it's, quite as tight as last year, but it is still going to have that feeling of like Mercury retrograde with Neptune in Pisces. Yeah, which is always a, a tricky combination because Mercury tends to want to signify communication and clear communication, whereas Neptune tends to muddy the waters and any significators it's touching. And yeah. so that usually results more tangibly in just um, miscommunication uh, as a, one of the primary significations, which is then amplified if it's also a retrograde. Yeah, the confusion, the overwhelm, if you like. I think one of the things Mercury struggles with in Pisces is just so many things going on that, that things get 
um, they slip through the cracks, basically. Yeah, it gets pretty soupy. Very soupy. That was your word. Yeah, that's totally it. Uh, it's like all a bit of a puddle. Yeah, so that uh, Mercury retrograde station, uh, we can see it happening here when it uh, begins the retrograde cycle around February 16th, February 17th. And then as always, it's going to be retrograde for three weeks. Um, it'll reach the halfway point in the retrograde cycle and conjoin the sun around February 25th, February 26th, around it looks like seven-ish degrees of Pisces, mm -hmm. before eventually moving back into Aquarius and stationing direct uh, March 9th, March 10th at 28 degrees of Aquarius. So that is our first Mercury retrograde period of the year, one, one of three basically happening already in February and March. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's it is a feature of this quarter for sure. Okay. And uh, we need the Mars. Yes. Yeah. So the other thing we wrote down that we wanted to touch on uh, is most of the early part of the year, we have Mars just like going through Sagittarius and not doing much that's hugely notable. Um, but then eventually, in about mid February, Mars. Uh, departs from Sagittarius and it moves into Capricorn and ingresses into Capricorn, where we have all of that other outer planet action going on this year. So suddenly we get um, a pileup of the three traditional outermost visible planets, mm. Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, thrown into the mix with the south node already being there, as well as uh, Pluto still being there, of course, at 23 degrees of Capricorn. So that ingress of Mars into Capricorn is the starting point of a buildup phase of Mars then building up to exact conjunctions with all of those other planets as it moves through Capricorn over the course of the next month or two. Yeah. And so yeah, there's there's a, a lot there, right? Huge. There there are um, several different conjunctions to think about. You know, because it's Capricorn, because Saturn rules Capricorn, it's kind of it's safe-ish to always go back to Saturn mm -hmm. uh, as a way of thinking about what's happening in Capricorn. You know, the first part of Mars in in Cap, it will it will conjoin the South Node, and so that's going to be Mars's input into that um, developing or to that already quite developed. Um, eclipse story between Cancer and Capricorn, yeah. Um, and Mars, Mars adds fire, right, and separation and action. Yeah, Dis divisiveness. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, separating oneself from from people can sometimes be a good thing. Can also be getting rid of things that you've been um, clinging on to that you 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 know you don't need anymore. Yeah, I think there can be a bit of like I've outgrown this, or this is no longer serving its purpose, like. It, when we when we say um, the divisiveness or the cutting away, sometimes people sort of think, oh, but what if I want to keep it? But I think sometimes the point of a combination like this is to bring you to a place where you realize that it's good for you to to not have that anymore. Mm -hmm. Well, and with um, Mars, Saturn, Pluto, South Node, all in the same place with Jupiter, you know, there, there's a the um, being a little there as a combination. It has it has a hard ass character. Yeah. You're Absolutely. Like, I don't love this, but it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Uh, or like, this isn't easy, but this is what I have to but do it's for now. You know? Yeah. Um, it, and it rewards more stoic attitudes. The stoic attitude, I think, is going to be really helpful for this time, the Mars and Capricorn period, which will be about six weeks. It's going to mm -hmm. take us from like the middle of February through to 
um, almost the end of March. And so, yeah, what's interesting is when we get towards the end of that, we have, uh, it's not just Mars in the same sign, Mars and Jupiter and Pluto and Saturn um, are all very close by degree. Yes. Um, the conjunction with the south node is separate by 15-ish degrees. Yeah, that happens earlier in the piece. Like that'll be kind of the second, third third week of February maybe, the Mars south node maybe the last week of Feb. Yeah. But then, yeah, this what Look Chris at this. has it's, got on the screen. It's funny. Like the, on the moon comes through. Yeah, the moon swoops, just sweeps for, uh, in right around the same time. Now that's an anti-cuddle aspect. <laughs> There'll be no cuddling in the third week of March. None at all. Okay. Yeah. And yeah, and so these these combinations, it's a lot of combinations at once, right? Mars Jupiter with Mars in the sign of its exaltation, like that's great. That's, that can be very productive. You know, that's yeah. Um, that's that's ass kicking. That's organized and effective. Um, very strategic. But yeah. The, but Pluto, but but Saturn. You know, there's it's all sorts of uh, all all of this stuff is happening more or less at the same time. Yeah. yeah, and it's like and with Mars as the trigger planet there, that does add a level of the potential for tension or um, maybe the disagreement piece. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so Mars hits Jupiter at 22 degrees of Capricorn, which is interesting since that was the degree where the Saturn-Pluto conjunction just happened mm -hmm. good, uh, good, good. a few weeks earlier. So anybody with like 22 degrees of cardinal sign placements is going to be getting hit with that's really interesting, actually, because it means no matter what the sect is of your chart, either you're going to get Saturn-Pluto hitting that exactly yep. in, in January, or you're going to get a couple months later Mars-Jupiter hitting that exactly. Yeah. Uh, so either you're getting Saturn or you're getting Mars on that degree this year within a two-month time frame. It's yeah, a lot. I believe Rhetorius referred to that as a whole lot of loving. <laughs> <laughs> Right in the ancient Greek. Do you recall what the Greek term, the Greek for, that term was? for that was? I can't. Yeah. I can just remember the translation. Okay. The translation. Yeah. I was love it. That was by. I think that was by the famous second-century astrologer Fradius. Yeah, Fradius. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's uh, great. So that was all the second half of March. I think those Mars conjunctions were happening, just to give people a ballpark yeah, the, timeline. So, yeah. The 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 week uh, the week leading up to the equinox and the week following the equinox are. Yeah. Um, there's a whole lot of love. So I, f I forgot about this though. This at the end of quarter three, which is what we're at at this point. Quarter one. Quarter one. Sorry, quarter one. Yeah. Uh, we get the Mars Jupiter conjunction. We get the Mars Pluto conjunction. Yeah. But Saturn actually escapes into Aquarius before Mars catches up with it. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that that's actually what leads us into quarter two. two. Yes. 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 Significant yeah. quarter two consequences. Yes. So, so it's like Mars hits. Pluto about March 22nd, March 23rd at 24 degrees of Capricorn. Yeah. But Saturn departs from Capricorn and makes its first ingress into Aquarius on March 21st, March 22nd. Yes. So we get the very first introduction of Saturn into Aquarius in the beginning of a new uh, two or three year phase, basically, of Saturn moving through a new sign. Yes. So it's not finished with Capricorn because it's going to no. retrograde back into there. But this is going to be the first preview, especially for people with like fixed sign placements of what that new Saturn transit is going to be about for the next few years. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think, yeah, that it, they'll get a real taste of that in the second quarter with Saturn there. Yeah. When will... Saturn stations and when like Mars can join Saturn and yeah. all sorts of fun stuff. More fun stuff. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, and just to yeah. speak a little bit more about 
um, Mars hitting. It's also a we're coming up in a Jupiter Pluto conjunction. Yes, but just that big pileup in the third decan of uh, Capricorn. Um, the again the anchor there, the thing that is most long lasting and impactful is the Saturn Pluto, mm-hmm. right? So it's uh, thinking of Jupiter relating to that, trying to turn that to one's advantage, turn trying to think about what opportunities are present in a situation that might be scary, but there are still opportunities there. What what can be done to improve it? And then we also have Mars. What do we, you know, what are the the more immediate actions that are required or would be strategically useful to take during mm. that time? Um, and so it, it, you know, it comes back to the, you know, the 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 big power dynamics that Saturn and Pluto are um, planning. Yeah, overseeing would be a better term. Overseeing. And it, what's yeah. interesting is the third decan of Capricorn. It has images of of power. Like one of the um, uh, traditional images is like a guy with a big bag of money sitting behind the big desk. Right. Mm-hmm. right. Oh wow, interesting. And like so, the Godfather or the yeah, Sopranos or right. something. Right. It's, it's that guy with a bunch of money behind the desk. Behind the desk. So yeah. I, I abbreviate it as just the throne. Right. I, I think that works as a quick symbol. But yeah, yep. the, the image is the 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 dude behind the desk with a bunch okay. of power. Wow. And That's so really interesting symbolism given that. So many astrologers associated with like the financial collapse and the recession that happened in 2008 with Pluto ingressing into Capricorn, uh, but now us having at the very end of Pluto's transit uh, through that sign or in the last decade of it, the last third of it, yeah. Um, now we have these intense conjunctions taking place before uh, we finish up that that transit through that sign. Yeah, and um, I believe that the United States was born with its Pluto in the third decan of Sag or oh, right. Scorpio or Sco- Capricorn. Capricorn, right? <laughs> no, Got to learn again? my signs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're going. The United yeah. States is having a Pluto return. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, the um, in terms of individual charts that mm. um, this year connects with more this this year connects a lot with the U.S. chart. Right. Mm. Sure. Yeah. Um, and we. We can introduce this and go into it more because it becomes more relevant in quarter two with the ingress of Saturn into Aquarius. But we kind of skipped over a whole eclipse that's happening in January, which is the solar eclipse in Aquarius, uh, which is like the first of, even though the, the Cancer one is perhaps more notable in that it's tied in with and happens almost simultaneous to. I don't know. They're, they're, I don't, know that I, I don't believe that there's a solar eclipse in Aquarius. Isn't it the one that's Hang like on. just outside of what's the other eclipse? No, the, it's, it's, it's in the December. December. It's in Cap. Yeah. Right. It's we have the, the Capricorn. I think it's just a regular new moon. How close is it to the nodes? Over 30 degrees. 34 degrees apart. Okay. Yeah. So we're just talking about like a normal new moon. So yes. Yeah. It'll, yeah. Yeah. We get to return to, yeah, normal. I know light. You, yeah. Got I'm it. just like to- so excited about eclipses. Yeah. Yeah. I got a little bit too excited. That's okay. That happens. <laughs> it's the Saturn going into Aquarius, which is such a big That's, yes. shift. Totally. Yeah, which is yeah. right around the equinox. Yes. All right. Does yeah. that take us into quarter two then? Yeah. Or are there any things that we need to touch on that we skipped over about quarter one before we, we move forward? I think we covered our highlights list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think if we... Go into a finer level of detail. We will obscure the big landmarks, right? Which are the um, the Cancer lunar eclipse in January, the yep. Saturn Pluto conjunction, yep, 
the Uranus is stationing direct, which is around the same time, which is kind of tied in with that whole cluster of stuff. Yes. The Mars and Capricorn co-presence. Yes. Once it starts transiting through that sign. And then finally the Mercury retrograde in Pisces. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. by the very end of the quarter, we get Saturn's ingress. Yes, which we are going to talk because it's more fully in quarter two. Okay. But, it is, but just I, so people know that planet changes signs at the end of March. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then before we move on to quarter two, we need to talk about the electional chart yes. for uh, January. And our in-house electional astrologer, I think Lisa Scheim was going to join us really she quick for that. She is going to have a, uh, we're going to have a quick Austin was going to get a coffee or something. Here. Yeah. I'm going to just go change clothes. Okay. Okay. There'll be a new skin. figure. Yes. Coming in a new hairdo and outfit and everything. Let me throw up the chart. So, Oh, you've got the electional chart you're going to put up? Yeah. So okay. we had some tricky, we, we always in our monthly forecast episodes try to pick out one auspicious electional chart uh, that people can yes. use for starting different types of ventures and undertakings using the principles of electional astrology. My, how you've changed. <laughs> uh, and so we, we do a whole separate podcast on this where we give four to five electional charts each month, but we try to give one uh, in the forecast episode. And so we need to highlight one electional chart for January. Uh, so there's Lisa. Hey, how's it going, Lisa? Hey, good. How are you? Good. We're having a good time so far. Just talking about Saturn-Pluto conjunctions. And yeah, we've called it the anti-cuddle aspect. I love that. Yeah, I've been and listening from the other. You been, yes, yeah. yeah. And actually, I'll say I, mean, I do have a point as to why I think Moon in Pisces would win the cuddle competition. Okay. A technical point. Well, mm -hmm. the Moon in Cancer has a protective quality. So it might be a little bit like, will we cuddle everyone? Whereas the Moon in Pisces is ruled by Jupiter, for sure, cuddling everyone. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. my technical reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah, standing up for mm -hmm. Team Pisces. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to run a poll. Uh, we'll yeah, see. absolutely. We'll okay. put that. People can put a comment in the video below and tell us. Well, right, Austin Team is, Pisces or Team Cancer. Austin is the yeah. Cancer rising, and you are the Pisces rising. Yeah, right. so I, I okay. need to like talk with him about it. I see what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, all right. So talk us through what is the highlighted electional chart that you wanted to highlight for January, Lisa? So this is going to be January 5th around 12.50 p.m. Okay, and well. it's going to be a Taurus rising chart. Um, January, uh, un not unexpectedly, I think, from anyone listening to the astro weather so far, um, was particularly challenging for finding good electional charts. Mm -hmm. So, um, But this is a nice, solid, basic one, I would say. Um, so this is going to be a Taurus rising chart with Venus ruling the ascendant placed in the fixed sign of Aquarius in the 10th house. So um, in the career house. And then the moon is in Taurus as well in the first house. And depending on your location, it's going to be either here, for instance, it's applying by trine to the sun in Capricorn in the ninth house, and then applying after that um, to square with Venus, but with reception because Venus is ruling the moon. And so it softens and improves that um, applying square. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, this one is, yeah, just kind of um, a basic solid election and much better than most of the month. Uh, so it has all those planets piled up in Capricorn in the ninth house. So even though the ascendant ruler is in the 10th house, so it's a good career oriented election. Um, there is a lot of focus on kind of solidity, um, slow building and power with regard to ninth house topics. So either higher education or um, things involving um, foreign places, international 
topics. Right. So this is a heavy, it's a ninth and a tenth house election. Exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of also the only decent Venus election in the month, even though it's not like, speaking of cuddles, it's yes. not the cuddliest. <laughs> I won't just continue that theme. It's not the cuddliest Venus. It's Venus in the air sign of Aquarius. But it's still the best condition Venus election that I could yeah. find during the month. Yeah, people in the chat are saying things like a, maybe this could be a book publishing election as a ninth house type election. Mm, yeah. Someone else says launching an online course uh -huh. since that teaching is a, is a ninth house activity. Definitely. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good things you could use this for in terms of ninth house activities. Uh -huh. um, what are other ninth house significations or themes? Uh, I mean, it makes me think of like international business yeah, opportunities. International sure. Business. Yeah. Yeah. Ninth house yeah. is the place of yeah. foreign travel and interaction with foreigners. Yeah. Um, so anything having to do with that. It's also the house that has to do with um, philosophical or sometimes religious matters. Mm -hmm. So things yeah, like that, studying the wisdom traditions. Sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Or even like taking a course or starting mm -hmm. a long term course of study of some yeah. sort. So yeah. with a bit of effort behind yeah, it. Yeah. It's similar to the December ones in that, you know, there's just this huge Capricorn Saturn buildup. So it's going to be the slow and steady election. It's not yeah. going to be like an immediate payoff election, but it's pretty solid, especially with the fixed signs mm. um, focus, because not just the Capricorn buildup there with Saturn um, in Capricorn, but, you know, the ascendant and the ascendant ruler are both in fixed signs as yeah. well and the moon. So it's like, it, it's a good long-term election for something that you want to last. But that may take a while to get yeah, there. That you want maybe some sustained effort for mm -hmm. that you want to stick with rather than just get bored with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, staying yeah. power. Mm -hmm. um, and it's also not just ninth house focused, but very tenth house focused in yes. terms of business, career, reputation social standing and things like that? Definitely, with the Ascendant Ruler there. So any of those ninth house topics that you can tie into your personal career trajectory would be perfect yeah. to use this for. The main topic I wouldn't use it for would be anything that involves your resources combining with someone else's, since Mars is in the eighth house in a day chart um, of shared finances. Yeah. Sure. You could have some conflict around that with Mars there. So it could be problematic with like a business partnership in terms of financial matters mm -hmm. or... Um, what are some of their eighth house topics that are sometimes relevant for elections? Taxes, loans, mm. debts, mortgages, all of those kind of things. All the things involving of money. Yeah, borrowing money, anything involving banks, stuff like that. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, Don't do your will then either. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's an eighth house topic. A will, that's yeah. funny. Yeah. yeah Which that is would also be... ninth house y. Oh, that's true. With the yeah. legal side of it. Right. Yeah. But the eighth house will. Will, yeah. will would mortality. Be eighth house. Yeah. That mm -hmm. would be a pretty straightforward, like Mars in the eighth house, like signification contesting of a will. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. don't do the will then. Um, yeah. Um, this is actually also a really nice solid election in terms of the featured one because it will work for most, if not all. Um, Locations. Uh, locations. Sometimes you have to adjust it a lot. This one you probably only have to adjust if if anything, like an hour forward or an hour back, depending on your location. But it should all be the same day. And in fact, in a couple locations, like around Beijing, Sydney, Australia, um, the moon will actually still be applying to a trine with Jupiter at that time, oh. which is even better. So okay, if that's so it's actually yeah. yeah, so okay. if that's actually true in your location, you Take should that. leave it there. Okay, yeah, because that's even better. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So don't. Um, yeah. Just make sure it's a Taurus rising. 
Um, in your location. So yeah. cast a mm-hmm. chart for your city for January 5th. Right. And then adjust the time. You can start with about 12.50, but adjust yeah. it so that Taurus is rising. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then if the moon isn't directly applying to Venus, but is earlier in the sign, as long as it's not applying to a conjunction with Uranus, you would yes. want to avoid that. And yeah. so do it later or try the next day if that's the case. But most places I spot checked, it was either applying by trying to the sun, already applying by square to Venus, or in a couple of those locations I just mentioned, still applying to the trine with Jupiter, which is the best. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, uh, that's our electional chart for January. That's one of the best charts we can find for starting something new in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we also found we found like four or five other possible electional charts that tended to cluster at the, either the beginning or the end of the month. Um, was that last I, that month? That was December. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, but we'll be presenting those in the Auspicious Elections podcast for next month, mm-hmm. uh, which is available to patrons for page on Patreon. Uh, and then we're also releasing a year ahead. Uh, sort of electional report where we give one of we give the most auspicious electional chart that we can find for each month for the next twelve months. Right. Okay. When, yeah. will you, when will you guys have that ready for release? Hopefully soon. Soon. Uh, okay. Yeah. Stay yeah. tuned. Yeah. We'll be releasing it by like the end of November or uh, the beginning of December. Cool. So uh, if you go to the astrologypodcast.com website up in the navigation, like you'll find a link to that, or I'll put a link to it. In the description page for this episode um, of the year ahead forecast, just a link to the 2020 year ahead electional astrology report. Fantastic. Cool. All, All right. right. Well, thanks a lot for joining us yeah, today. You're welcome. Thanks, All Lisa. Right. See you later. See you. Lisa will have her own transformation now. Yeah, so I'll turn <laughs> into Austin again. <laughs> um, so here is the chart again for <laughs> the year, just the movements. And we can see now we can see like Mercury starts off in Sagittarius, but you can see that little retrograde period that it has in Pisces and Aquarius. Yeah, it's so handy to do these visual wheels because there is something to be said for just like looking at the emphasis and it just putting the data into your brain in a different way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that just, I love, I mean, yeah, I've done something very similar with my markers. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and that's why I put it on a poster because I like having it on my wall so I can refer you can to it. Quickly see. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah I would it. basically do that with a pen for yeah. um, for annual um, yeah uh, cons- consultations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still do it. I would also do it in uh, PC Paint. PC Paint. Oh. On my my chart files. Oh. And like Microsoft Paint, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, like oh, whatever, okay, on whatever the, the like crappy okay. 20 year old right. uh, graphics program that comes with every Windows machine. Is. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'm like, wow, I don't even know about this. Yeah, this is yeah, that's clever. High level stuff. High level, very high level. All right, guys, let's get into quarter two. Quarter two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're gonna transition into the second quarter, which is uh, April, May, and June of 2020. So. Um, we've already actually started to go into that basically in terms of talking about some of the ingresses that take place like right at the end of quarter one and very beginning of quarter two. And that's where we start with that, right? Yeah. And so the biggest ingress by far is Saturn's ingress into Aquarius. Okay. Hugely important. And uh, like, I know we're not done with Saturn in Capricorn, but I am very much looking forward to just a change in the quality for a few months of his energy. Yeah, um, I'm I'm pretty tired of Saturn and Capricorn. Yeah, I know. I know we still have to deal with the Saturn and Capricorn second half of the year stuff, but I am looking forward to what? Yeah, 
the feel of Saturn in well, Aquarius. And I, so I think you're both speaking as people that did not have Aquarius rising. <laughs> <laughs> and, That's true. I mean, we both actually have a personal planet in Aquarius. So okay. That's something. Yeah, there but is. There's something to be said for fresh hells. Fresh and stale ones. Stale right. ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And also Aquarius, you know, we don't have the co-presence with all the other, you know, palava that we've yeah. been dealing with. Yeah, Pluto. And- It'd just be nice to have that go down a notch. And, and that's basically this whole quarter, I think. Oh, yeah. 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 And so one thing that's really interesting about Saturn's uh, movement from Capricorn to Aquarius is that that those are the only two consecutive signs which are ruled by the same planet. Yes. So Saturn is still in a sign that it rules in Aquarius, but it's the other one. The other you one. Know, it is Saturn ruling air. It's the right? less heavy one. You know, in, um, in the, if we have Saturn planning – Right. Um, and doing structure as always. With Capricorn, there's more of a focus on the past. Yeah. And there's more of a focus of architecting the future possibilities mm. with uh, Aquarius, which sounds very positive and can be, but, you know, um, it means managing, uh, looking at what the probabilities are and then trying to architect a way to get to the future you want. Right. Yes. Steering, steering, um, uh, you know, what a, uh, affecting that compromise, that vital compromise between dystopia and utopia. Yes. And it's still, it's still Saturn work. It is still Saturn work, but yeah, there's a qualitative kind of tonal change, if you like. Yeah. So we're talking about moving from the, um, what's traditionally called like the feminine. Or the, uh, is it the night sign? Yeah. Or the, no- the feminine or nocturnal sign that is ruled by Saturn to the masculine or diurnal sign that's ruled by Saturn. Yeah. So while it's still Saturn ruled, there's more of a how would you guys frame it, or or what terms? Because it's a little tricky because we've we've gone over this like a bunch of times in previous episodes in terms of what how to uh, qualify. Yeah, uh, well, there's a temperature change and there's a pace change that happens mm-hmm. between Capricorn and Aquarius. We go from the cold Earth into the hot air, so there's a warming up, if you like. Which I know it sounds a bit weird. Um, you don't think air signs like the hot quality? I don't think um, I, I, don't, I don't think not- Saturn in I, I don't think Saturn in Aquarius will be experienced as a warm breeze. No, I would no, no, say, I'm not, I would I'm not say, trying to say a warm. I breeze. would say like stony, cold Earth to um, biting wind. Okay, um, <laughs> biting wind. Okay, I might not. Have I don't gone disagree with, with you about uh, air sites generally. I mean, no, yeah, uh, I think that's relative. Like, yeah, this is definitely not a warm breeze, but there is a like a. More active. It's not as freezing cold, sure. and there is more of a an active component for sure. Yeah, sure, yeah. absolutely more active. Yeah. Um, um, with Saturn and Capricorn, there's a lot of dealing with situations, and that's true of the Yin slash feminine slash night signs. There's a like being able to enjoy. Um, should we? They're more. Um, how should we say? Yeah, they're less active. It's yeah. more like. How do you like where you ended up? Yes. Right? And it's like reflecting you, on where you are. Um, right. Whereas the the fire and air signs are, you know, air chooses it. Air can travel very easily. Yeah. Right? Whereas earth does not travel very well. No. And that's what I guess like the pace change there, um, you know, the masculine signs do tend to have a little bit of a faster pace. And again, not mm-hmm. saying that Saturn becomes massively quick. But, but quicker. With, but quicker, relative. That's the whole thing. There is – you know, when I do progressions with clients, I always love this progression because there is a little bit more movement from Capricorn into Aquarius, a um, little bit more 
of that outward focus, if you like, and and the articulation, you know, let's think about it, or as you say, architect the future rather than just ruminate on the past. Mm -hmm. And that um, that active quality will be exacerbated by yes. Saturn's, well, two things. One, one in the short term, which is Mars ingressing into Aquarius shortly after Saturn. Yeah. And then the other, which is a much longer term thing, is that Saturn's movement into Aquarius puts it in um, a sign-based square with Uranus and Taurus. And that doesn't quite get exact this year, but it will be a very big theme in 2021. Yes. Yeah. Um, and Uranus is if nothing if not um, uh, inspiring of movement. Often yes. very quickly. Yes, very inspiring of movement. But you have mentioned the other significant event that's really kicking it off this quarter, which is the Mars ingress into Aquarius. I think that technically happened on March 30th, but we will have Mars conjunct Saturn as soon as that happens. So that's a signature for this quarter. Yeah. So Saturn Saturn goes in uh, March 21st. Yeah. And, and then, then Mars around the 30th, I think. And then Mars right there on the 30, 30th, yeah. 30th. 31st, yeah, I guess, depending on where you are. It's moving, yeah, okay. And then it can join Saturn immediately at zero degrees of Aquarius. So that's like a weird um, start to Saturn's journey through Aquarius. It's not just like Saturn and Aquarius that we're experiencing, but it's a Mars-Saturn conjunction, which is such a uh, contrast and an opposition of, of opposing, extremely opposing qualities mm. right at the very start in Aquarius. Mm. Like I remember some of the past Mars-Saturn conjunctions that we've had over the past few years that we've been doing the forecast episodes, like Mars-Saturn yeah. and Scorpio. And yes. yeah. Sag. Sag and Cap. Oh yeah, Sag. That Sag one was a big one. That was a doozy. And then with the most recent one, which was the Mars-Saturn and Capricorn. Yeah. And so what's interesting is that even though there's a bunch of other stuff in Capricorn, we had Mars and Saturn in the same sign from mid-February until That's the end true. of March. Yes. And because Saturn and Mars's ingresses are pretty close together, we keep having Mars and Saturn in the same sign for uh, basically until mid-May. Yeah. Right. So it's um, almost like a three, like two six-week chunks of Mars, yep, Saturn co-present. A lot of Mars, Saturn. Yeah. And one of the my favorite um, images of Mars, Saturn is like uh, – Mars is like pressing the gas in the car all the way to the floor, like flooring it, while also Saturn is like hitting the brakes at the same time, or while like having the emergency brake on. Yeah, uh, and and sometimes in life or in the part of the chart where that falls, having those dueling qualities of wanting to move forward rapidly, but also sometimes being stopped from moving forward or having a barrier that you have to decide whether to attempt to just push through and like get removed from your way as an obstacle or if it's something that actually stops you so that you can't proceed further. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so one very common Mars Saturn experience is frustration. Yeah. I was like, that's the word. Right. For Mars frustration. Saturn. Yeah. The one thing they can agree on is removing or destroying something. Yeah. Um, which can be barriers, obstacles. It's um, Mars Saturn configurations you know, are, are can be um, unfortunate triggers for bad things. Yeah. Um, remember, there's a Mars-Saturn conjunction. Every. Yeah, uh, about every two years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and they're in the same sign for a bare minimum of six weeks every two years. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, you know, it's important to note that, yes, that's the kind of configuration that can signal, you know, um, misfortune, but it's not every time. Yeah. You know, you don't need to be like, oh my God, 
It's going to get me. Yeah. You know, and if you get gotten for six weeks every two years consistently your entire life, then sure, maybe, maybe, maybe that's worth being concerned over. But, you know, that's not the case for most people. For most people. And I think one of the key things that, particularly when I, when I think about Mars, Saturn in Aquarius, Mars doesn't have the dignity here that it did when Mars and Saturn were together in Capricorn. So Mars does have to bow down a little bit more to Saturn here. Mm. And so the, whatever your Aquarius part of your chart is, there's that enthusiasm and energy of Mars wanting to get things started, but having to be strategic about it or having to think about long-term sort of plans or consequences that you may have to move more slowly than you would like. Right. But it is a time for, I always think of, it's a little bit of the slicing and dicing. You know, if you want to go forward, you can't do everything. What's the prioritization, the choosing, which is something Saturn always asks us to, to do. And mm. we don't like that. That's why we struggle with Saturn sometimes is you can't have it all and you can't have it all at once. You want to make a choice. Um, and I think there'll be, because it's an air sign, I think there's a little bit of uh, just a, like a an overthinking or just a bit of that mental angst that can go with this that um, we should just all be aware of. It's very common of Mars in an air sign to trigger that and to have Saturn here at the same time. I think we'll definitely see some of that. Yeah, because air signs tend to have more to do with communications and um, groups, but also like intellectual type activities. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, the thinking well, mind. I, Kelly, I really like that um, that point about the dignity change. Mm. Mars stays in, or excuse me, Saturn is this, it, Saturn moves from one sign that it owns to another sign that yeah, it owns. Yeah, just gone from Mars one. moves from its exaltation yeah. to basically homeless. Nada, um, and so- um, you know, if there's disagreement between the gas pedal and the brake in Capricorn, there's a real disagreement. Um, there's also a real possibility of them working together because they're both so strong there. Yeah. yeah. Um, whereas um, in Aquarius, Saturn is in a vastly superior position. Yes. Um, and so the 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 brake will naturally win mm-hmm. and is probably the right move. Yes. Yeah, I think I think I would totally agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, one of the things about that conjunction, though, that I like that you brought up at the beginning, Austin, that we can't almost can't remove from it is just how early Uranus still is in Taurus. Yeah. And certainly from a sign-based standpoint, as soon as both of those planets ingress into Aquarius, they basically start applying to and start moving towards, or at least engage in, begin engaging in a square with Uranus. So we've got to delineate this partially, this Mars-Saturn conjunction partially within the context of a square with Uranus at the same time. Yeah, I agree. That does need more time, um, especially because they're only they're only you know five degrees out, right? Yeah, and applying. Yeah, it's not like a, a vague whole sign aspect. Um, it's within five, um, and also in the week following the exact Saturn-Mars conjunction. Um, Mars will just move March right ahead and make an exact square with Uranus. Right. So that'll, you know, that that definitely gets pinged. So that yeah, the Mars it's that's gonna trigger it. The Mars I was just thinking, oh yeah, Mars square Uranus. And it looks like that aspect goes exact around the around April seventh, April eighth. So really early in this whole period that we're talking about, Mars exactly squares Uranus from five Aquarius to five Taurus. Yeah. And so Saturn Uranus. Saturn Uranus are have very contrary significations. Saturn likes things to stay the same, likes to build systems, likes security. Uranus would pref- prefers freedom uh, over security. It prefers um, improvisation over plans. 
Um, it is Uranus brings the sudden change rather than the slow concretization. Um, they're very different in their in their powers. Yes, and when they get configured by um, by hard aspect, you see con- you, uh, you you see a war, <laughs> not a war. Uh, you see, yeah, you see friction between. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to do this plan, but oh, but things just changed. Yes. Um, you, um, one way that that works out is having to radically and quickly alter a longer term plan to take into consideration uh, a new and important development. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the that idea of like having a plan, but the situation changing faster than you can actually enact your original plan and then having to go back to the drawing board or even on the fly, having to be a little bit flexible or a little bit spontaneous, which is not something Saturn does very well naturally. No. And Saturn, Saturn's there to advocate for, you know what? We don't change plans every time. Yes. Every every time time somebody else, the wind changes or something. Yeah, exactly. And there's strength. There can be strength to that that un- that robust unchanging quality. Yeah. Right. Um but Saturn yeah. Uh, you're going to say something Chris? Uh yeah, just cuz it's interesting that um Aquarius is a fixed sign and so we're mm-hmm. moving from Saturn being in a cardinal sign which has a little bit more ease in initiating change even though it's not something that we normally associate that much with Saturn um the initiation of change in Aquarius moving into a fixed sign that's much harder and as an air sign, there can sometimes be one of the funny things about Aquarius that isn't often emphasized enough is there can be more of a um, fixidity intellectually and like adopting Absolutely. intellectual positions and being very strong. Because sometimes in like modern texts, because of the association that some modern astrologers have with Uranus there um, and the ideas of like change and eccentricity and things like that. They don't emphasize properly the more traditional components, while where there can be that intellectual eccentricity that's partially coming from a position of like ideological fixity. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Um, It's very stubborn about what it thinks. Aquarius. I mean, and it can be something that's like unique, like adopting a unique position or or even an innovative or progressive position, but there's a, a drive behind it and there's a certainty and a surety about sticking with whatever that position is uh, to the last breath. In like some defending way. Yeah. it yeah, sure. until Absolutely. the end. Yeah. And so, yeah, so we have that versus have that. the uh, very practical disruptions that Uranus and Taurus likes to uh, throw our way. Yes. Right, and that is you know that's really emphasized um, during that that first week and a half where we have Saturn uh, Saturn Mars square it and then Mars square it exactly, and it will that will be a um, that will be a background theme for the entire second quarter is Saturn square Uranus because yeah. uh, every time every time the moon is early in a fixed sign yes it's going to aspect both of them and it is going to join their light. Yes, um, <laughs> to collect their forces together, for better or worse. And, and I don't know what that is in practical, specific terms, but that's there's some sort of like technological disruption. I feel like with Saturn moving into an air sign like that in Aquarius and squaring Uranus in Taurus, that, mm. that part of what we're talking about there is um, changes in technology as being a major backdrop to that. Because that's already, of course, something we're all thinking about in terms of the Jupiter Saturn conjunction, which is going to take place in Aquarius, mm-hmm. and that shift into a new triplicity where we're going to be in air signs for for quite a while after that, for 
how long? Like a couple hundred years? A couple yeah, hundred 200 years. 200-ish? Yeah. yeah of yeah. all Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions in either Aquarius, Gemini, or Libra. Um, but even just opening that up, I, we talked in the last episode uh, for December about Uranus's move through Taurus and just the first few degrees of that, and already starting to see over the past few year, past year, um, the advancements in certain things like um, alternative meats or like lab-grown meat and things like that. Yes. Well, the food innovation, yeah, yeah food yeah. innovation, and just the idea of like technology being brought to bear on the issue of food or mm -hmm. um, different ways of like making and creating food. Absolutely, uh, but. Yeah, now we're throwing Uranus or Saturn into the mix in a very tight square that's going to be one of the signatures of this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and even more so next year. Yeah, th sure. that's that's the second quarter Uranus Saturn action is very much a preview or a like a background I think as you said Austin and that's something we will return to in 2021 with a lot more strength and intensity yeah, with with um multiple exact Exactly. Squares. Yeah, and there'll be sat yes, And so yeah. um just the quick within memory Saturn hard aspect Uranus was 2007 to 2010. Yes. It's disruptive. That was the opposition. This is the square. Yeah. 2007 to 2010 was the opposition? Yeah, whole sign. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Leo Aquarius. Yeah. So- uh, Pisces Virgo. Oh, beg your pardon. What, one of the things- Oh, yeah, of course. How could I forget? Yeah. <laughs> I should be aware of what happened in those two signs. <laughs> Um, one of the back too far I, I saw an announcement the other day that like one of the major companies, like game companies, Valve announced the release of like a new uh, Half Life game that they're going to tie into like virtual reality, which mm. normally would just be a blow off thing. Except it's one of the major like players in terms of the gaming industry trying to push a new innovation with like interactivity. And there's something about that. Uh, it's supposed to be released in March or April, which is right around this oh, time frame that yeah. we're talking mm, about. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, just in terms of I'm thinking about the technological quality of Saturn going into Aquarius, but then the physical quality of Uranus in, in Taurus, Taurus, which we keep talking about as being like a physical thing, which yeah. sometimes brings us to food. Yeah. But Taurus is also very like tactile and very mm. about sense and touch. And, yeah, the material world. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Uranus and Taurus is, um, yeah. That whether well, that's a whole two hours. It's a whole show in itself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, we have touched on that in previous episodes. So, um, quarter two, other Jupiter, stuff. Jupiter, Pluto. So the, Jupiter, Pluto. That's the next major thing because that's happening also in early, early April. Yes, and that was uh, almost there at the end of March, the yes. end of quarter one. Um, but um, it's exact in April. And I think more importantly, both Saturn and Pluto getting moving into Aquarius lets us see the Jupiter-Pluto dynamic for what it is much more clearly because we don't have 18 things on top right, of it. Right, yeah. So Saturn and Mars coming out of Capricorn kind of clears the energy, if yeah. you like, for Jupiter-Pluto. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's yeah less um, strenuous ingredients, yeah. <laughs> yes, mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, there is a wealth signature that I often see referred to with Jupiter-Pluto. So it's sort of that idea of what are we doing with money, what's happening right. with money that's kind of, you know, behind the scenes or the, you know, how is money and power kind of coming together right. to a certain and, extent. And extremes of those Very in terms extremes. of like not usually in between, but either like extreme wealth or extreme poverty. Extreme poverty. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I would add to that. 
Um, you know, with Jupiter, Pluto, um, hidden opportunities. Mm, that's and a beautiful way. That's often how yeah. the people who have Jupiter, Pluto in their natal chart obtained great wealth is they saw a giant opportunity that nobody else saw. Nobody else paid attention to. That's be Yeah, that's a great point. All right. I'm just <coughs> taking a, a look at uh, the alignments for then. Let me throw that back up. There we go. There's the charts. Jupiter-Pluto by April 4th, April 5th conjoining. Um, other early quarter two stuff. Do we need to like start getting out of April? Because we're still talking about basically like the first week or two of April. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a couple of things in May I think we wanted to look at. Um, one, one more yeah. thing on Jupiter-Pluto. Yeah. Um, just uh, as with a lot of these configurations, that doesn't click on one day and click oh, off the yes. next. Like Jupiter's going to be hanging out, had has been hanging out with Pluto, and will continue hanging out with Pluto for the next couple months. Yeah, yeah I think we have another Jupiter Pluto in, in Q4, which we'll return to. So there is a and we've got a vibe there. Pluto stationing on the 25th of April later that oh, month. I do want to say something on that. Go ahead. Yeah. So keep in mind, this is the second time we've had Jupiter in Capricorn since Pluto went into Capricorn. So oh, right. 2008, we had Jupiter in Capricorn with Pluto there as well. So that was a fun time. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't want to cause any sort of, you know, concern for people, but just to be aware that we there, there may be an echo of theme, mm -hmm. if you like, uh, macro level but also at a personal level so in terms of like fluctuations of wealth and things like that fluctuations of wealth i think also in a personal individual life you know that there's sort of extreme developments that mm. can happen with jupiter pluto so think about the house area of capricorn and whether there's sort of um, a hidden opportunity as austin says where there can be some extreme growth or unlocking of something or whether there is a, an event or a situation that just takes up an extreme amount of your energy and your time because it is you know a bit of a problem that needs to be addressed. Oh yeah, and uh, Jen H mentioned this in the podcast, and I think you mentioned it earlier as well, yeah. Austin. That Patrick Watson just released a good Jupiter Pluto article mm -hmm. with a lot mm -hmm. of historical examples. Yeah, a lot of good things. historical stuff. Yeah, um, some of it was about uh, advances in um, uh, telescopy and microscopy, and Which see, makes sense. being able to see for the first time the huge and yeah. distant, as well as the absolutely tiny. And small, which yeah. Which is very interesting. Well, because Pluto don't... has those extremes of like really tiny or really big. There's yeah. No halfway with Pluto. Yeah, and Jupiter bringing knowledge. Yeah, um, the, the inside of the wisdom. It takes, like Alan White always used to say, that it takes that which is really small and makes it really big, or it takes that which is really big and makes it really small. Yeah. And that's just exacerbated even more with Jupiter throwing into the mix, which already has a tendency to make things big and, and overblown. Yeah. Absolutely. So people can find Patrick's article just by Googling like Patrick Watson, Jupiter, Saturn, or Jupiter, Pluto Jupiter, conjunction, Pluto. I'm sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Those extremes of scale. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So where does that put us? Early uh, May, I think. Yeah. We need to jump forward here uh, just to keep going, maybe to the Venus retrograde. Briefly, Saturn retrograde as well. Oh, right. The station. The Saturn station and the nodes changing sign. Okay, so it, yeah, which is, is all early May, May first, and then May fifth. Here's May. We have Saturn stationing retrograde okay, in Aquarius. Yeah, is that correct? At a, like eleventh of May. I mm -hmm. beg your pardon, eleventh. Yes, I have the tenth, but close yeah. enough. That's yeah. a time zone thing. Yeah, yeah I yeah. can't read my own notes. Yeah, so Saturn retrograde. 
So Saturn station's retrograde, Jupiter station's retrograde, Venus is retrograde. Yes, which is a big signature for this month. So May is like the the month of the retrogrades this year. I mean, not quite because we don't have Mars not quite, yet. Yes. Mars is. <laughs> There's a couple of retrogrades in May for sure. Sure, it's it's the part one of retrograde. Three stations in a week is pretty good. It's yeah. a lot. It's a lot. So it's that second week of May. Uh, let me throw that up on the chart. Yeah, I mean, I think with Saturn retrograde, you know, it's very much just a dipping the toes in to the Saturn in Aquarius energy. If you do have planets at zero or one of a fixed sign, you're going to get, of course, a direct activation of that Saturn in Aquarius energy, mm -hmm. um, which is like that's the start of your Saturn transit to a planet or point that you have at zero or one of any of the fixed signs. Yeah. But in terms of the tone or the theme of Saturn in Aquarius, this is just, it is just a little taste. Yeah, because yeah. re retrograde stations are like an intensification of the energy of the planet and an elongation of the the energy because it's just sitting on the same degree in the same minute for an extended period of time. Yeah, it can be quite full and solid and Saturn. Yeah, Saturn, Saturn, yeah, until December, Saturn doesn't get past 157 of Aquarius. Yeah. Okay. But it spends... I don't know, three months, uh, three-ish months just in those first two degrees of Aquarius. Yeah, yeah, which is a little unusual. So there's that station of Saturn in the second week of May. What else do we have going on here with this chart? Well, we've got Jupiter stationing right after that about a week later at 27 degrees of Capricorn. And, and Venus even before that. Yeah, there's Venus stationing at 21 degrees of Gemini around the 12th or 13th. Yeah. Nice. Uh, and that Venus station is really closely squared Neptune. So Venus at 21, Gemini squaring Neptune at 20 Pisces. Yeah, Venus will technically make two squares to Neptune, one just before she stations retrograde and one just after. So that just adds a, a quality to that particular Venus retrograde of maybe confusion or cloudiness or that sort of rose colored glasses quality, which is so kind of Venus Neptune where you might have a slightly overly hopeful tone. And then we need to untangle, you know, what's really going on both through the Venus retrograde and then afterwards. Yeah. So uh, rose colored glasses and the idea of sometimes like an unreasonable picture of what's going on in terms of interpersonal relationships. Yeah. It being maybe a little overly hopeful or overly idealistic potentially. Sure. The one, the Venus's retrograde station there um, suggests that that, that is the, uh, that's what's going to be undone yes. or thought through. Yeah. Um, and so experience uh, there you know there may be the experience leading up to that of with neptune it's ignoring problems in relationships uh ignoring like oh oh it's fine it's not as you know? bad as i think or Whereas, brushing off i would say the uh, the goal uh, of the venus retrograde is to get to a more real place mm. but the experience especially with the first part will probably be disillusionment where and disillusionment isn't necessarily an accurate view, right? No. When when you first flip from like, oh, everything's fine to oh, there are problems. The problems are actually overemphasized. Yes. And you That's can true. actually get into an illusory state. Yes. Um, where you're like, oh, everything's terrible. Yes. Where you think is, it's worse than what it is. Yeah, which is also not accurate. Yes. So it's um, the whole Neptune not saying things what they are, good or bad. Yeah. And so, yeah, and so that begins a uh, solid six weeks of Venus retrograde. Yes, and yeah. that, that's a feature because that's wholly contained within this quarter, um, the Venus retrograde. It's a feature, not a bug. Yeah. 
So it stations retrograde. And what was the day of that again? Um, around May 13, I think. It goes okay. retrograde. And then the direct station is around Mar- June 25th. And it looks like the halfway point when it when Venus conjoins the, the sun. sun at 13 Gemini is June 3rd. Yeah, that makes sense. There we go. And then let's see. Venus eventually slows down and stations direct at 5 degrees of Gemini, June 25th, 26th. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Um, Venus retrogrades are very orderly. Yes. They repeat with just the slightest bit of alteration every eight years. And so this is a repetition of the Venus retrograde in Gemini that we had in 2012. Yes. And it was in the second quarter, uh, dominated the second quarter of 2012. Yes. Mm. Right? And so um, although it won't be an exact repetition in terms of life events and experiences, there will be a strong parallel um, to what was going on for you during the second half of Q2 2012. Yeah, like an echo of a theme. Yeah, or even taking it back eight years before that mm-hmm. to- 2004? Uh, yeah, that would be- Yeah, 12 minus eight. <laughs> we'll just try and do math live on yeah, camera. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a long week. We are, Our brains are very full right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, so that those repetitions, and that's something we've talked about a lot on the podcast in different episodes, like some of the Nick Dagan best episodes on Venus yes. retrogrades, and just seeing, just because it's so close, it always goes retrograde so close within what two degrees? Within one or two degrees, the stations every eight years, so it's very very close. Yeah, and people that are really tied into that cycle can get really locked into those repetitions. Yeah, and I think you know we've talked a lot about you know the Capricorn parts of people's charts and things like that. This is emphasizing the Gemini part of your chart, so you know it will bring up a different topic with a different quality of energy. Uh, you know, the, it's very interpersonal. I think with Venus retrograde in Gemini, mm-hmm. um, in terms of how you're interacting with people around the Gemini themes or topics. You know, if it's uh, sixth house, it might be, you know, subordinates or seventh house, it could be relationships. If it's uh, 11th house, it could be with friends and groups and things like that. So just I like the disillusionment and I would also add sometimes there's a bit of a tone of disappointment, like something doesn't quite happen the way you had hoped and Mm -hmm. that can – Mm-hmm. It just gets mm-hmm. you to question mm-hmm. things or go back over things. It doesn't have to be like a tragic end of something, but mm-hmm. it is no. just that sense of like, oh, that wasn't quite what I hoped. Right. But the yeah. retrograde, there's going to be like a whole process that people go Absolutely. through during the course of it probably of, yeah. of maybe seeing something and it seeming really great, but then maybe yeah. having to come down from that and adopt a more realistic tone eventually if it yeah. doesn't pan out exactly as you initially thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And Venus, when Venus is retrograde- Venus is much more acrimonious as a, a background influence than Venus direct. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's it's interesting because Jupiter and Saturn are a little different retrograde, but they're still very recognizable. Yeah. Um, whereas when Venus is retrograde, it, it, it acts as a trigger for separation and acrimony. Um, we don't, it takes on some of Mars's significations. Um, it's you know it, it it's similar to Mercury in that sense in that the there's yes. a real difference when it's retrograde. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that's true because as an inferior planet, they're much more the quality is very there. Yeah, and there's generally a lot of uh, soul searching or heart searching um, yeah. during Venus retrogrades. Um, one of the questions that I, uh, I I I find comes up during every Venus retrograde. Um, to varying deg- with varying degrees of intensity is 
um, what do you really want? You know, Venus is the planet of desire. Like, yeah. What do you really want? Do you want this? Do you mm-hmm. want this person? Do mm-hmm. you, is that not what you desire? Yeah. And, you know, sorting, sorting For- out your desires. Right. And yeah. so you can see people uh, reflecting on and reviewing relationships and sometimes deciding whether to continue one that they're already in or in other instances, returning back to one and restarting one that they had previously left. Yeah. And that's, I'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the, like the, the emails from exes, old lovers, yeah. like emails from exes yeah. is, uh, or DMs from exes. Yeah. Um, is such a thing during Venus retrogrades. Right. Totally. And I think for people who are in longer term relationships, there is often a questioning about, you know, how are we going either in the relationship as a whole or around a particular part of that relationship. So there is a there is an opportunity for some and I think I keep thinking of questioning with with Venus retrograde in Gemini. It's like the talking, the ideas, the do we do this, the options, if you like, and sort of trying to sift through all of those and and just taking the whole retrograde to go through that process. Was our last Venus retrograde the one in Scorpio like a year ago? Was that the last time? Uh, Yeah. Because I think like there was a great example, like a public example during that time that was such a classic Venus retrograde. And it was obviously colored by Scorpio, but it was the like Ariana Grande Pete Davidson breakup where it's like her former ex boyfriend. Mac Miller like committed suicide. Oh, right. She was like in the relationship with Pete Davidson, but then he said something and and they went through this very difficult period and she ended up like reviewing the relationship and breaking up with him and it was very um rough on him as he tried to get her back but then eventually they became friends again or <laughs> that I, sounds- I realize i'm going into a lot of detail about this but it was just such a classic yeah um, and that's the when yeah. when it's fully enacted that's kind of what the venus retro coaster feels yeah. like retro coaster i like that if, if you're Hashtag. if you're tied into it for some reason either if it's hitting your birth chart um very closely in terms of the specific degrees involved mm. of the stationary degrees especially or if you have venus activated as a time lord uh, or or any of those things that can make a transit more closely tied into your chart in that specific year yeah Absolutely. yeah and so it's it it's primarily relational but it can get tied into other things. Like if Venus is the ruler of your 10th, yes. then it's like, you know, how you get along with people at work. Totally. Right. right. Yeah. Do, do use the topics of Venus that yeah. are unique to your chart. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, so what else is going on? Let's see. We're, we're in May, obviously. We've got all the stations. Jeez. Well, just one thing that happens, uh, strangely enough, on the same day that Venus turns retrograde is that Mars enters Pisces, and it's not so much that we're we think that's amazing. It's just that that means Mars is no longer in the same sign as Saturn for the first time since February. Yes, and it's not in a Saturn ruled sign either. Like yeah. it's a double Mars Saturn. Yeah, and it just so takes, it's just a change, and that's very important because um, after Mars leaves Pisces, it'll be in Aries. And then it's back to being configured with Saturn. Yes. Right? So it's actually one of the few windows this year where Mars and Saturn are partying separately. Yes. Mm-hmm. Good point. Partying separately. So that's going through May and most of June before Mars eventually departs from Pisces and moves into Aries around June 28th. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's sort of the rest of the, the second half of this quarter, it's Mars and Pisces. Okay. Got it. 
should we take a look at June? So let me throw yeah. up the artwork for June. We've got the Sun-Venus conjunction on the third, which is the halfway point in the Venus retrograde cycle. Uh, and we get back into eclipse season by June. Eclipse season, yes, uh, the, on the solstice. And we've got our second Mercury retrograde of the year. Okay. June's, June is busy. Um, yeah. We've got a Mercury retrograde. Uh, we've got a big old eclipse. We've got Venus stationing direct. We've got Mars going into Aries. Um, there's a lot that happens in June. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that sets that up just beforehand, though, that's probably important and relevant is the nodes actually change signs. Yeah, May 5th. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, sorry, yeah, we missed that actually. They kind of invisibly slip um, over back, back through Cancer into Gemini um, and it's important to remember that the nodes move in a in a pattern that is contrary to the planets. Yeah, so uh, the nodes move clockwise, right? Whereas which is like a backwards through the signs, right? Yeah. So they start at the end of a sign and they exit through the beginning of a sign. Yeah, yeah. So we're ending our year and a half, or like two, almost two year period of the nodes moving through Cancer and Capricorn, and that's the reason why we've had that series of eclipses that are bouncing back and forth between those two signs over the past couple of years. But now with the nodes moving into Gemini and Sagittarius, we're queuing up a year and a half or two year period of eclipses in those two signs. Yeah, and we have yeah. one more big eclipse in Cancer yeah. um, before that's official. So for people who are studying astrology, the um, the nodes will generally tell you around where the eclipses are, but um, even after the nodes shift, you can still have you know one more eclipse in the previous sign, yeah. and sometimes the eclipses will jump ahead of the nodes as well. Yeah, yeah. I think that with the nodes changing sign coming out of the Cancer Capricorn axis, it's been eighteen months. It was November twenty eighteen that the nodes moved into the Cancer Capricorn axis. Mm -hmm, so it, yeah, it is reducing a level of intensity on that axis. It's not taking it away completely, but it is going to one of the factors that has contributed to that um, emphasis is now gone. Basically, I'll take it. Yeah, I'm like I'm taking. So I know we have Saturn coming back into Capricorn in the second half of the year, but it will no longer be co-present with the nodal axis, and that is a level of improvement. Mm -hmm. If yeah, for yeah. that axis, for that particular axis, exactly. Right. Whereas yeah. the um, the Gemini uh, Sag. Yeah. The um, and also the Venus retrograde cycle in Gemini yes. also serves as an introduction. Um, to an emphasis on Gemini and Gemini Sag, which will continue for a while. Yeah, the and next 18 months. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So, yeah, different. Um, so instead of my rising, it'll be my moon. Yeah. <laughs> it gets it. You can't get away from it. No. Yeah. It's hard to get away from the sky. It, you can't. You absolutely can't. It's, I mean, look, and the nodes, they do take, they spend about 18 months per sign, mm -hmm. but it means about every nine years, the nodes are back into the same pair of signs. Mm -hmm. the, like right now, we've got North Node in Gemini. Nine years ago, we had South Node in Gemini. So, you know, it's not a, uh, like, it's not as though it's a rare cycle. We've all had this. Yeah. It's, yeah. You're, you've done it before. You've done it before. I think it will be interesting to have the Venus retro in uh, Gemini with the nodes having just come in there. I liked how you said that like an introduction there. Yeah. And it is starting to pull our focus off the Cancer Capricorn axis. Yeah. You know, there is going to be that period from mid-May to the end of June with Venus retro and Gemini. There's going to be a lot of focus on that Gemini part of our charts. Yeah. There's a, a, a mutable focus developing. Yeah. And yeah. so- 
this is uh, the eclipse situation is a uh, is the less common but not completely unusual one. Usually, you get a, a solar and a lunar. Yes. Um, of similar ish strength, or um, you know, both visible. In this case, we have one super intense solar, which is um, right next to the solstice. I believe it's like a day and a half yeah. after the solstice. But before that, there's a lunar, but it's very weak. Yes. It is technically an eclipse, but it's not, you know, it's one you wouldn't be able to note with the naked eye. Uh uh. Um, and then. There's another, there's a third one that's very weak, two weeks after the solar eclipse. So two weeks after, two weeks before, whenever there are three eclipses, two of them will be exceedingly weak yeah. and one will be super strong. Very potent. Mm. And so yeah, it's. I think it's around June 5th is the weak one. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, that's a Relatively intense full moon. Right. Full moon in, in Sag, I think. Yeah, uh, Sag yeah full moon in Sag. Yeah, because the sun and Venus are very close to their conjunction. And Mars is uh, um, at the square yeah, point. Very tightly configured. So, that's, so talk about a mutable emphasis. Yes, indeed. Yes. Um, but it's really, I would say it's Mars and Venus making that one worth noting. Yeah, you know, rather it's than just the The moon wearing just a, just a touch of eyeshadow. Just a touch of shadow. Yeah. Right, right in the middle of the Venus retrograde period. Yeah. yeah that's really interesting. Okay. Yeah, because the lunation is 15 Sag and the nodes are 29, you know, Gemini Sag. There's a 15 degree difference there. 14, I mean, 14, 15 degree difference. That increase to me. That increases the what you're talking about earlier, Austin. The t almost already normal tendency of Venus retrogrades to be kind of acrimonious to put Mars yeah, squaring in it, the like superior right, square to in it. the superior square, like halfway through the cycle, and, like and kind of ups the, the whole, acrimony. Yeah, and by sign the whole time. The whole time, okay. Mars like, enters um, uh, Pisces the day that Venus stations retrograde. Yeah, okay. so it but does yeah, make yeah, it. I agree. It's a the, the saving grace actually might be Neptune. Um, buffering the Mars. Mm -hmm. Neptune, uh, by conjunction or co-presence, Neptune will put out some of Mars's fire. Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, yes. In a way that can be, um, that that can be a problem in natal charts. And yes. with Mars, Neptune have a hard time standing up for themselves. Mm -hmm. They feel guilty about asserting themselves. But when we're looking at the skies and we don't want extra fire, yeah. um, we are grateful for Mars, Neptune. A hundred percent. Yeah. But the big eclipse is the June 21 or 22 solar eclipse. Yeah, in Cancer. Yeah. yeah. So, and yeah, so we've got the eclipse, or excuse me, the solstice, which is the ingress of the sun into Cancer, um, is on the 20th. And then within 12 hours, we have an eclipse. So, and this is where it's really important that to understand that, that eclipses are caused by the proximity of a lunation to the nodes mm -hmm. and that it, the sign boundary becomes irrelevant in that regard. So here we have the node at 29 Gemini and the lunation happening at zero Cancer. So separate signs, but, you know, less than 60 minutes apart. Yeah. Um, um, a degree, sorry. Yeah. Just and a degree and a quarter. It's so, so tight. And so that, that, that means it'll be a total. Total eclipse, which is maximum power from all the eclipse things, the, the, the occulting, the overshadowing, the blocked light. And um, it is, it, you know, it's at a very cardinal point. The very we, first we, degree of eclipse. Lunations on the solstices are more dramatic energetically, but also think in terms of weather patterns. And to have this lunation be an eclipse is just going to add an extra level of an extreme yeah, tone and there. It's, 
It's a little, it's rough on the um, the quarterly ingress chart. That's uh, right. Oh, yeah, you had mentioned that. Yeah, astrology. if you're doing mundane astrology and you've got a chart for um, the sun into the... Uh, yeah, so in that chart, in we'd have the moon just a few degrees away mm. from the eclipse, um, very, very waned. And so that one will be visible. The path of totality is going to cut through sort of central Africa, It'll head east. Uh, it'll cut through Saudi Arabia, northern India, go through China, and then exit um, uh, in the the Pacific. Okay, that's the path of the eclipse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And is this the last major eclipse in the Cancer Capricorn axis? Yes. Yes. Okay. So it this is, is is the last one. This is it. So this is the final closing down of that, and we're starting to wrap up all of that activity and all of those changes that that have been occurring. In everybody's charts, mm -hmm. um, but some people in particular, if Capricorn and Cancer are like a major axis in your chart, yes, yeah. And, yeah. and so it's a potentially um, dramatic. Let's say the the the, um, the punchline is a good one. <laughs> it's out with it's, a bang. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't end with a whimper. No, out with a bang for sure. That's uh, very strong. Yeah, and. This is obvious. This is opposite to um, where we've had all of the heavier stuff with the Saturn Pluto conjunctions and like Mars transiting through Capricorn earlier in the year. Yeah. Um, but it's closing up a sequence of events uh, in the Cancer house in your chart, whatever house that is. There, there is absolutely that idea of the closing down of that, and I, there is quite an emphasis on the Cancer part of our charts at this very, the very end of June because we've also got the Mercury retrograde happening there. Okay, right. Let's yeah. mention that yeah, Cancer, Cancer will be okay by the by by twenty twenty one. There's just there's still a lot of cardinal to do. There's still a lot of cardinal, and and look that to to put that into context, we see that year on year that that different groups of signs get more heavily emphasized or not, and yeah. it's just the cardinal turn. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we do have the Mercury retrograde uh, running through there as well. Looks yeah. like that stations around June seventeenth, June eighteenth, at about fourteen degrees of Cancer. Yep. Yeah. And then it's retrograde for the next three weeks. And I think that Mercury retrograde is actually wholly enclosed in the sign of Cancer. So I believe so. Yeah, it's the halfway point in that retrograde is on the at nine degrees of Cancer around July first. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so many things happen while Mercury is retrograde. Yeah. So within the confines of the Mercury retrograde, we have the Sun's ingress into Cancer and Eclipse. We have Neptune stationing retrograde. We have Venus stationing direct. And we have Mars We have Mars entering Aries, which it'll be in until January. Yes. And we have another exact Jupiter-Pluto conjunction. Yes. Um, as well as Saturn going back into Capricorn. Mm -hmm. And all of that happens within that three weeks. Yeah. Okay. It's a, like it's a big end, three weeks. End of June, first part of July. Yep. Yeah. And that, that Mercury, it's slowing down and stationing direct, right, as Mars is passing over the square. Yes. Just look at Mars. It's going at five degrees of Cancer, six degrees of Aries, or five degrees of Aries, six degrees of Aries squaring Mercury as it's slowing down to station direct at six degrees and five degrees of Cancer around uh, first, second week of July. Yes. And then it stations direct finally uh, July 12th and 13th at five degrees of Cancer. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So there is... It's it's the same axis, but coming from a different perspective because there's just a bit more happening down there in Cancer now. Yeah, yep, yeah. And so, 
yeah, you know, the Venus retrograde ceases to be retrograde. We get Venus direct during the first week yeah. of that Mercury retrograde. 25th so of June. It's, Venus is still going to be in Gemini for quite some time afterwards, but yes. moving forward, going over the same material, the same territory for a third time, right? And that's, you know, generally emotional territory, but it's not you know, tumbling backwards through it. No. That's like, oh, okay, we've been over this twice now. Yes. Let's do it right the third time. Let's get it clear and get it set. And it's kind of similar to what we went through last year, this year, which is the first retrograde being more tied in with a hard aspect with Neptune and issues with like miscommunication or potentially deception. But the second retrograde of the year being tied in with Mars and issues with um arguments or discord or like verbal mm. uh, sort of sparring that can come along with hard Mars Mercury aspects. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So be careful about that, especially around the station of Mercury direct yes. um, where you have In that exact, exact yeah. square. Yeah. And that whole period is- um, you know, um, in the uh, in the lunation cycle, following a very you know an annular that ring of darkness, uh, ring, ring of light and darkness uh, <laughs> yeah. eclipse. So, um, you know, people sometimes people will be find themselves in dark situations or moods and will not um, bring their best selves forward. And so that that ingress of, of Mars is so important because we Mars in Aries is a consistent feature for the entire second half of the year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, get get used to Mars in Aries. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to have plenty of time to learn all about the ins and outs of Mars in Aries. And we're going to talk a lot about that for quarter three and quarter four. Yeah. And, right. and also within that short window, Saturn leaves Aquarius back in Capricorn. Yes. Right. And that's un until the fourth quarter, it's Saturn back in Capricorn. Yeah. Got it. All right. Um, so I think that brings us to the end of, of quarter two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's yeah. time to transition to quarter three. Do we want to take a little break? I think we do. Yes. Okay. So we're going to do some. How are we going to do this? We're going to do, you guys need to do some plugs first because mm -hmm. I wanted to hear what you have coming up and what you have going on. Mm -hmm. So when I turn it over to you, I'm going to go get some coffee and let you guys uh, let us know what you have coming up this year and if you're going to be teaching or speaking or other engagements that you have going on. Yeah, absolutely. We probably both have things. Oh, I was just going to hide in a bomb shelter all year. Are you? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm not doing that. I think I'm going to be teaching classes. From You'll the, be teaching live from, from, the, bomb live from the bomb shelter. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, what are uh, you doing outside the bomb shelter? Outside Kelly? the bomb shelter, I will be doing a few things. So I'll be teaching my chart interpretation series of classes live online. So you can find out details about that uh, in early 2020 via the events or the calendar tab on my website. So that's kellysastrology.com. But I've got quite a few live events this year as well. Um, I'm going to be teaching a post-conference workshop at the Norwalk Astrology Conference. Oh, really? And uh, I think I'm sharing the bill with a certain someone. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm expected to teach a post-conference workshop as well. Yeah. Are we, are we on the same day? Are we, we competing? We are competing with oh, each no. other, which is not fun because I can't attend yours. Uh, but yeah, so we're both teaching, I think, on the Monday after Norwalk. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Which is great. And then I feel like that's, yeah. But then we've got the ESAR conference. I'll be doing some live events uh, in the second half of the year as well. Uh, so just keep an eye on the events of the calendar tab page of my website. 
Very nice. What about, so what else are you doing from the bomb shelter? Okay, so I'll be teaching um, my yearly classes. I will be teaching my thorough year one, which is eight months, which is going to be from March until October. Mm -hmm. And for those who have taken my year one or who have all of the requirements covered through study elsewhere, I'll be teaching year two. I might be teaching a year three. I haven't made you my haven't mind up. You haven't decided yet. But I will absolutely be teaching year one and two. Fantastic. I'm I'm sure Kate will keep me busy all year uh, elect, finding elections for Sphere and Sundry, um, which, which is talismanic and magical materia, all sorts of fun planetary magic stuff. And stellar, not just planetary, but Yes, there is some beautiful fixed star material yeah, that, that um, is coming yeah. out of there. So you'll be picking the elections for that. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm the official election astrologer and occasional consultant on series. I love it. I love it. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if most importantly, but... Um, uh, Importantly, uh, 36 Faces, the second edition, should yes. be done um, first quarter. Um, the illustrations have been taking a little bit longer because they're lavish and beautiful and amazing. And yes. I'll actually use this as an opportunity to say who I've been collaborating with. You should. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I've been uh, working on this with Grant Hanna for a while now, Liber Celestis on Twitter, who is a fantastic uh, graphic Brilliant artist. artist. Um, and I couldn't be happier with how things are coming along. I think even if you don't read the book, yeah. um, just just paging through it which should be an experience, yes. courtesy of Grant. Yeah, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, I'm it, sure it's taking a little longer, but it's absolutely worth it. I'm yeah. so happy. You're um, asking in the chat if you can pre-order it? Uh, no, not yet. But they'll keep stay tuned on Austin's website for info about that as it gets closer, I presume. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There should be an announcement uh, uh, beginning of the year. And the same for sign up with classes for year one and year two classes. And uh, let's see. Hopefully, my plans are to actually write some more books this year. Yeah. Write something new. You've reminded me I've something In addition else I to just to editing what I already wrote. Yes. Um, and so, um, so there's that, no promises. And then I will be at Norwac. Uh, yes. I've got a couple lectures. I've got a, a post-conference workshop. And I will also, like yourself, be at ISAR, got a couple lectures, and I will be doing a workshop with the two of you. We're going to do one, all three of us, at ISAR. Yeah, we're going to open the conference with on. a pretty sweet workshop on uh, synthesizing modern and ancient astrology and our both outlining Austin, you and I last year at Norwalk did a sort of like test run of this workshop, mm -hmm. uh, but now we're we're going to complete it by bringing in like the third to complete the trine. Uh, <laughs> You're going to have a grand trine for everyone. <laughs> yeah, the grand trine to talk about outlining both what are some of the problems and the differences between modern and ancient astrology, but also what are some possible solutions for reconciling those differences and creating something that's a workable blend of both. Because I think that's one of the big things that's on a lot of people's minds at this point. Yeah. After the revival of traditional astrology over the past 20 or 30 years is like, what do you do with that? And how do you how do you get it to work and get along with uh, modern astrology? Totally. Yeah. And you mentioning a book reminded me I'm hoping to get my first book out this year as Very well, nice. which I can't believe I forgot to mention. And Kelly, um, will you be doing any readings in 2020? I am doing some readings, um, a limited amount though, and uh, I'm actually already booked out for about half the year already. So uh, if you were thinking of having a reading, I guess uh, just check in with me sooner rather than later. 
And I always forget to mention that I do have a monthly subscription that people can sign up for via mm-hmm. my website as well. So, Which is a monthly forecast. It's a monthly forecast with um, like weekly videos of the different aspects and things. So right. uh, there's info. If you go to my homepage, kellysastrology.com, and just scroll down to the bottom, you'll see a big a kind of promo box with all the details if that's something that's of interest for people as well. And your book's nice. going to be on secondary progressions? Secondary progressions, and we are hoping to get it out uh, in the second half of the year. So stay cool. tuned for more announcements about that as we get closer. Awesome. Nice. And yeah. your website, kellysastrology.com? Yes. And Austin? I'm austinkopic.com. And although I shut down new intakes for consultations last February, I'm going to open that up before the end of the year. Okay, cool. That's, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah so not, people should take advantage of that because you haven't been open for that for a while. Yeah, and it's going to be a limited number. I'm trying to be responsible with my commitments, but uh, I want to get back to doing some consults for people. Fantastic. Brilliant. Okay. All right. Uh, really quickly, I wanted to talk about our sponsor for uh, this episode, which is the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanac, which we've all got a copy of and have been enjoying over the past few months. Yeah. Um, and actually, a ton of people. I've seen a lot yeah. of people listen to the podcast since we started talking about this a couple of months ago, getting these and being really excited because we we're talking in the last episode about how. You know, we all started out, especially I think you and I, Kelly, but maybe you all you also Austin with just an ephemeris. That's one of the first mm-hmm. books yeah. you get when you start learning astrology. And it's still one of the books that I recommend is people get an ephemeris early on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can start studying how the planets move through the signs, how quickly they move through the signs, and how that relates to your chart. But for us, we had to like use a highlighter and yes. the book would fall apart from carrying it around so much. Yes. Um, and this is taking the ephemeris to the next level because it's having an ephemeris, but it's also tying it into your natal chart to be able to see your exact transits over the course of uh, six months or a year. It's incredibly detailed. And uh, one of the things people should keep in mind is that you can pick when this uh, ephemeris or diary starts. So it, it is a it's a calendar, it's a planner, but it's got the transit info for the day, but it also has transit specific to your birth chart. So when you go online to order it, you pop in your birth details. So you can look up at what's happening in your chart any day of the year and you can pick the 12 month time frame. So it doesn't have to be like a January to December time frame. I got mine to start I think November of 2019 for 12 months. And Chris, I think you got yours for October. Mm-hmm. Austin, did you? when did you guys get yours? Uh, mine is November November as well. as well, yeah. Yeah, I like that because then you can get it as like a gift, like especially for like- A birthday, basically. I often see on like Reddit, like people asking like, what do I have a girlfriend or a boyfriend who's an astrologer? Like, what do I get them as a gift? Like this would be a gift that I would actually enjoy receiving like as an astrologer. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think this is, it's perfect. Yeah, um, it's- and, you know, do your perfected year type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's not just um, Zodiac uh, Christmas ornaments. <laughs> exactly. Not to knock Zodiac Christmas No, my ornaments. aunt got me them one time and it was very thoughtful. Okay. Yeah. She may be listening right now. So uh, <laughs> what other, so it shows uh, daily and monthly exact transits. Um, it's got a personalized ephemeris, which is connected to whatever city you want it to uh, give you the oh, time yeah. zone for so yes. you don't have to do time zone conversions, which it is just always- It takes all the hard work out of it. Right. Like you just put your city, I put where we're living in Belgium and it just now I know what's happening every day instead of having to adjust from other time zones. Uh, it has a visual transit uh, identifier so you can see exactly when certain transits will hit and whether they'll come back. Like those long-term transits where sometimes you just get one 
exact hit, but in other instances you get like two or three. Yes. Uh, which is super useful, especially if you're start, just starting to learn astrology and really want to learn how to track your transits. Uh, so yeah, uh, lunations and just about anything else you could want in a personal astrological planner. Yeah, and it's, the price is yeah. right. Yeah, it's uh, I think it's thirty five dollars for a year, maybe. Yeah, for a twelve month for a twelve month thing, which is personalized per, for personalized information. That is phenomenal. Definitely. That it's yeah, that it's done at that price point. Yeah. So people can find out more information about the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs at honeycomb.co, and I'll put a link to it in the description page for this episode on the astrologypodcast.com website. So thanks to them for sponsoring this episode of the podcast, since that actually is part of what allowed uh, you guys to fly out here to do it uh, in person for the first time ever, which has really been a lot of fun this it's, week. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Cool. All right, guys. Um, well, so we, you guys, we need to take a break. So I'll just break. like yeah. talk and can you plug take over? Things. Yeah, you. <laughs> yeah, maybe Lisa. Chris, she's what do you have going we'll on in 2020? Yeah. Oh, you got to tell people what you've got coming up next year. Yeah. And we'll find Lisa. So I will be speaking at the ESAR Astrology Conference, just like Austin Kelly, which is happening in De Denver in September. And Austin is standing in front of my camera. <laughs> <laughs> Austin, uh, back of Austin's head. <laughs> So I'm I'm the main thing I'm doing is I'm going to keep just producing the podcast and one of the things I wanted to mention is the reason I've been able to start having people out here and we've been able to build a studio over the past year was um through patrons that are supporting the podcast through our page on patreon.com so if you go to the astrologypodcast.com/subscribe you'll find a link to that and there's different tiers where people can get access to uh, bonus content, behind the scenes content, and other benefits like early access to new episodes, higher quality recordings. What else do we have in the for patrons that are like benefits? For the ten dollar tier, we have the Casual Astrology Podcast on top of the Electional Podcast, so that's at least one um, special podcast per month that's only for those subscribers. Yeah, and last month we actually recorded one with Joy Vernon, which was about. Conducting astrological consultations in person. So mm -hmm. sometimes it's like really good episodes that were just released to subscribers. We've also got the Electional Astrology podcast you mentioned each month, which is for people in the $5 tier. Mm -hmm. And we've also got the new um, producers tier, which is to thank different um, producers if you want to get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode, or if you, in some instances, want to advertise uh, some astrological product, as long as it's cool. Like that's the only. That's only a proviso. Is it has to be like a good astrological product because I don't want to promote like lame things, right? Yeah. Um, but so far, it's been pretty awesome because we have companies like uh, Astro Gold, which does the astrology app that I use. I think both of us use, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have that on my phone. Uh, Astro Gold, the Portland School of Astrology, the ESAR conference that's coming up next year, the Northwest Astrology Conference, and of course, um, specific patrons that support each episode. Like in this instance, Christine Stone and patron Nate Craddock are supporting the production of this episode of the podcast. Mm -hmm. So that's the main thing I wanted to mention and promote. But other than that, if you want to learn more about my approach to astrology, I never I mentioned my book sometimes, but I don't feel like I mentioned it enough. And some people think because it's a huge thick book that it's not a good intro book. But I'm at the point where I'm realizing if people want to start learning astrology, like you don't need to necessarily start with just basic modern astrology books anymore. Like you could get my book and start learning more advanced forms of astrology right from the start. And you're going to have a much better time because you're not going to have to unlearn as much if you go the route that all of us had to go uh, instead. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, you definitely have to be prepared for it. It's not like a lightweight book, you know, both figuratively and physically. But um, yeah, I mean, it's the same experience though as with the podcast, which is yeah. that people usually find the podcast and like, wow, this is way more advanced than I can deal with right now and seems interesting. But mm -hmm. it's usually over most people's heads at first. But if you stick with it, eventually you start learning and eventually get to the same level as everybody else and then enjoy the more in-depth conversations more yeah. than maybe when you started. Yeah, I definitely agree. Sure. So here's my book, Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune. Just do a search for it on Amazon and you'll find it there. If you enjoy the book, I also have a course where I have long lectures that go into like five and 10 hour lectures on detailed treatments of different topics and techniques in astrology uh, to teach you how to read charts. And I use a lot of example charts starting in the middle of the course to demonstrate how the charts, uh, the techniques actually work out in the charts of either clients or celebrities to give you like some reference point for how to use this stuff in practice. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, is that the only thing we've got? We mentioned our yearly electional report, mm -hmm. which we're putting out. We're going to give one electional chart for all 12 months of 2020. Right. We also mentioned the monthly uh, electional podcast, mm -hmm. the Auspicious Elections podcast. And that's probably it. Yeah. I think that's it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So Austin and Kelly are still taking a break. <laughs> so I have a. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, what is our, how's our chat doing? Let's check in on that. Okay. How's everybody in the chat doing? Do you guys have any questions or anything at this halfway point through the forecast or about anything we've just plugged? Uh, somebody says their honeycomb planner just arrived yesterday and they're enjoying it. That's awesome. Nice. Thank you. I'm glad to hear that. How do I not be afraid of 2020? That's a good question <laughs> that a good from question. Aaron. Yeah. Um, somebody else asked if there's a promo code for the planner. There's no promo code at the moment because we talked about that with them and the planner is already priced so low and that's some of the mm. thing one thing that we keep being surprised about right. whenever we think about it because we think it should cost like a hundred dollars or something but it's just like 30 bucks so it's already priced so reasonably that there's not a discount code for it but we definitely they definitely appreciate your support um chart examples yeah all right so yeah i think on the 2020 one mm -hmm. were you going to say something about that the how to not be afraid of 2020 we're going to have to ask Austin and Kelly because that's a bigger, because sure. we actually discussed that last night, yeah. which is the question of how to present some of the heavier transits that are coming up this year without necessarily freaking people out. That was a little, right. I was a little nervous about how that went last year because one of the phrases that came out of our 2019 forecast was the, the meat grinder, right? which was, you know, a, a sort of tough set of transits in June and June and July. June and July yeah. But and and there will be some more challenging transits coming up later, especially around the Mars retrograde. But without necessarily like freaking people out while still being descriptive, mm -hmm. it's one of the challenges we were trying to work out, especially for some of the quarters this year. Yeah, definitely. But some people are going to have. There's going to be some people experiencing like the Saturn Pluto conjunction. That's going to be an intense transit. But other people are going to flourish. So mm -hmm. that's one of the challenges that we have is that it really depends on how it's hitting your natal chart. And while there's certainly some like global events or like larger mundane things that can affect the mood of everybody in some ways, mm -hmm. um, a lot of this is just going to depend on what your personal transits are. Yeah, for sure. How focal it is in your chart and whether it's activated. Right. Yeah. But for electional work this year, we can't rely on Jupiter in Sagittarius. So we're going to yeah. get used to using Saturn elections. And yeah. That's going to be one of the fun challenges this year is how to use Saturn productively 
um, in a chart, especially for electional purposes. I've adjusted my mindset to that. I'm just kind of annoyed about Mars being square to it the whole second half of the year. Yeah, or <laughs> Mars is like harder. in Capricorn for a huge chunk. Yeah, yeah, Mars in Capricorn and then Aries. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, I think they are might they ready, be ready to come back? Yeah, the doors. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, all right. We'll swap again. All right. See thanks. you all later. All right. Uh, we are back. Are you guys ready to transition into talking about the third quarter of 2020? Ready. Okay. So one of the questions that somebody <laughs> had in the chat while we were on break was how not to be freaked out by some of the heavier transits. Let me see if I can find that to get this specific. Oh, we can give it. So the question is how to not be freaked out by the stuff? Uh, yeah. Sort of something like that. I'm trying to. Okay. Find the question. How do I not be, not be afraid of 2020 was the specific question, but it was sort of like a well, LOL after. I, I would say one thing that I've considered when looking at the astrology of hard years is think about all the history that human beings have made it through. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful way. Like my grandparents did the depression and then World War II. Yep. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. think, uh, <laughs> you know, it's yes. uh, human beings uh, were shockingly resilient, resilient if you give us a chance. Yeah. Yeah. And also sometimes, I mean, we know just as a matter of fact, it's like sometimes during things like recessions, like some people obviously collectively have a hard time, but other people find ways to not just take advantage, but to take advantage of like opportunities during those periods that might help them in the long term. Yeah. Yeah. There are, yeah. um, yeah, there, uh, there are, how do we put this? It's, it's not just um, happy, shiny, bright times that have opportunities. And if you look at, you know, if you read biographies, you see that a lot of the best things that happen in people's lives are a result of what they did when the worst times were happening. It's, yeah, it's how they made it through or dealt with, it's what the, the tough times prompted them to reevaluate or question or change their priorities around. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And sometimes... Yeah, I, I don't want to be Pollyanna about it, but I, I do know that there are things that we learn about ourselves. Please be Pollyanna. You, you are kind of Pollyannorous. <laughs> Sorry. That's great. I like that wordplay. Very clever. Uh, sometimes you can only learn about what you're capable of by being in a situation that is incredibly difficult or stressful. And I'm not saying that, you know, that means we should just all welcome stressful situations, but they can teach you things or show you things, or you can access something in a situation that is uncomfortable or challenging that you may not get to when everything is sunshine and roses. Yeah. And um, to use a Mars metaphor, which I think of is course. probably appropriate for the second half of this year. Yes. Um, you know, you need heat and pressure to forge certain qualities. Yes, Absolutely. And one thing we had talked about, because we were chatting last night around the show in general, uh, actually, I'm going to save this because we're not into the, yeah, we're not we into the like stuff a, yet. A we're not into the stuff yet. I think yet. we will yeah. return to this question when we get done with Q4 and yeah. have all the context necessary That's right. to discuss it. Yes. And that was one of the themes we talked about last month that with Jupiter and Capricorn in terms of how to make the most out of very little. If you oh, yeah, the yeah. frugal kind of component. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also making in incremental, slow and incremental change that builds up over time until so that it's not immediate. You don't have an immediate payoff, but if you keep at it for a long enough time, you eventually 
can sometimes achieve success with your intended outcome or desired goal? There's definitely a delayed gratification quality. And this, the idea that this is a marathon, not a sprint, that mm-hmm. we're not looking for a quick fix or a fast solution or a quick solve, that you are kind of moving the pieces around a little bit that is strategic and with the long game or the long term. Definitely. In and mind. yeah, with Jupiter in Capricorn, puts it in Jupiter's, uh, Ju- excuse me, puts Jupiter in Saturn's sign, right? So yeah. if we're looking for opportunities, we should le- be looking for Saturn opportunities. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you, you know, let's say in your local area, there's the real estate market tanks. Great. Rents are going to come down. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that can be a positive. And from for a, sure. from sort of a, mm, Thinking about how, uh, looking for examples, there are lots of animals that, um, like a vulture, um, <laughs> or, or crow, yes. uh, like scavenger, like what can you do with what, what other people think is useless? Yes. Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, or the, you know, raccoons, right? Raccoons do great because they're like, oh, you threw that away? Yeah. This half sandwich is amazing. This is my like Thanksgiving dinner equivalent or something. Yeah. Right. What other people think is worthless, there may be hidden opportunities within. Yeah. Mm, that's a good keyword for this year is like f- seeking out the hidden opportunities or the uh, what's that phrase of like a diamond in the rough? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And the idea that like with a bit of elbow grease, you know, you, you can turn something that looks a bit rough or a little bit battered into something, you know, like I think about the upcycling type of thing or the repurposing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always think of the quality of frugal and making a little bit go a long way when I think of Capricorn. Mm. Mm-hmm. So there is, you know, that sense of not, we, we, you know, we, we do have more of that sort of thoughtful, conservative tone this year. Right. All right. Uh, let's jump into the third quarter of the year, which begins with July. Yes. And we've already- And a few things, a few which things. you guys flagged already. Yeah. It's like we've already started to get into that. One of the things that is carried through from June, of course, is the Mercury retrograde. Yes. Which eventually stations direct in, in early Cancer by the 12th of July. And we've got that whole Mercury-Mars square that's happening in the first half of the month around that time. Yeah. And so, yeah, July opens with- Two things uh, in addition to the Mercury retrograde, which will be over by mid-July, but it, yeah. there are two things which occur in the first week or that July opens with two things that will be continuous uh, for much of the rest of the year. One is Saturn's back in Capricorn, right? So no more Lost preview back to back to Saturn and Capricorn, back yes. to Saturn Pluto, all those dynamics. And that happens July 1st, July 2nd, Saturn retrogrades back into Capricorn? Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. mm-hmm. July 1st. And then, um, and and we have at the uh, the end of June gave us Mars's ingress into Aries. Yes. And so, even though it's uh, correct to say that Mars will be in Aries until the end of the year, um, Mars's first month or two in Aries, it'll be direct. And it'll yeah. just be doing Mars in Aries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it won't whereas, be in shadow, and it's just kind of cruising. Right. Whereas then there's the retrograde phase, which is um, significantly different. Um, and you know we would plan to adapt to that very differently than just a plain old Mars and Aries, and then it'll be direct again after the retrograde, and that'll be very different um, than the previous two phases. So it's Mars and Aries, but three distinct phases of um, Mars and Aries over the six months. Which is mm. yeah, and I think the there's a lot of the Mars Saturn dynamic playing out in the different iterations of those phases mm-hmm. through not just this quarter but the second half of the year. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And so they're um, they're both in squared signs. They're in Capricorn and Aries. Um, you know, by the time we get to the second of July, but they're twenty five degrees off of us. You know, or they're twenty. Yes a long way off from an exact square and then that'll change as we get um as we we get to the end of we get closer to the end of the um the third quarter yeah one of the things i want to mention really quickly about saturn going back into capricorn uh at the beginning of july is it's making its final pass through capricorn and this is going to be the final phase and the last check-in for many of the people who have Saturn and Capricorn. Saturn returns. Other Saturn return. This yeah. is like the end final phase. And what's funny is when when Saturn does this and it backs, it goes out of a sign, but then it comes back is especially for people that have Saturn in the middle or the early part of the sign that had their exact Saturn return much earlier. It's like they think it's over and they think, and in most instances, the most intense part of their Saturn return is complete but there's this last little reminder and this last little check-in to make sure that you got the point of whatever the return was about yeah um and and that'll become clear i think for a lot of those people whether they're having their like first set of return or second set of return or what have you when saturn dips back in for a few months in the middle of, of this year yeah, theme song, final countdown. Final countdown. It, it is a tying off of loose ends kind of thing or dealing with the the last things, the the unfinished business or the the little bit that's not quite done yet. Sure. And of it course- It might be- uh, It might not. I know little. I, we, as soon as I said to, that, I knew you were going to respond well, to that. Well, it's, it's an intense last bit. It is. Well, yes. And we'll tell you why soon. We will get to that. Oh, right. Okay. That's a good point. Um, and, and of course, for those that have Saturn like natally really late in the sign, yes. that might be the most intense part. Is They're when doing it is. the degree-based part yeah. still. Um, but it's just important for those. To, I just see people sometimes being like, my Saturn return is over like two or three years ago when it went exact. And um, I think they might have a little bit of a surprise when Saturn, because it'll leave Aquarius and, and a lot of those themes will recede, but then suddenly it just comes back. So as a sort of surprise for one last one last pass through that sign. Yeah. Yep. I remember um, being a Saturn Virgo native. I remember when Saturn went into Libra, and I was like, <gasps> right. And then it came back, it came into, back Virgo, into Virgo, and I was like, oh, yeah, not done yet. And that was that. It was a question to me whether that would feel like Saturn return again. It was yeah. like within twenty four hours. I was like, yep. Saturn returning Feels like again. Saturn return again. Yeah. yeah, those sign-based aspects, and that's going to be one of the themes we'll learn if you pay attention to it over a long enough time frame. But especially this year, uh, is those sign-based aspects really count? Like it's certainly at the most <laughs> intense and most pivotal events often happen at the exact degree. Degree. But uh, don't don't discount those sign-based uh, even conjunctions or other aspects. Yeah, totally. All right. Okay. Uh, are we going there? Yeah. Where are we going? Right for the Mars. Well, let's 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 do some uh, let's do some August. Okay. August. Okay. Tell us um, about August. Have we finished up with July? So so, it's pretty. Uh, July is very front loaded. Okay. Uh, and eclipses and everything. That's the. There's only that very minor one. Um, uh, let me get the date. It's a few days after Mercury's direct station. July 5th. Yeah. So Just the- a very, um, yes, that Capricorn, um, it's July 5th. Okay. Yeah. But because it's so far away from the nodes- It's like a very partial, tiny eclipse. We're having a debate over whether that's like a full-on eclipse. Well, it's going to- we, um, I don't- 
I think we all agree. Well, it's technically an eclipse. Yeah. Um, visually, um, barely, um, if at a, if even detectable by the naked eye. I mean, is th- this is then the final? Um, if Twitter extended is an actual eclipse, technically speaking, the final Cancer Capricorn eclipses. Yes, that's true. Ever for the next that however many years, nine years. Yes. Yeah, and Ju- and July is really. Cardinal stuff, um, you know, the sun's going through Cancer, so it opposes Jupiter, Pluto, Saturn. It's, you know, it's it's another look at all the Capricorn stuff through the eye of Cancer. Um, it, very, totally. Very familiar themes at this point. Yeah. Um, having Saturn dip back into Capricorn for the last time in July and then having that eclipse there seems really notable in terms of rounding that out and completing that whole the sequence of events and people's lives in that area of their charts. Cool. Yeah, well, um, I would say that that total solar is going to take a, a little bit to play out. Um, some would argue that it'll take six months to get fully done, mm. right? Um, and that will, uh, but we're we're in the six months of wrap up for that cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, and we basically have to get into to Mars at this point, right? Yeah. So by the end of July, Mars is has entered its shadow, which the shadow being the set of degrees that it's going to retrograde through. So these degrees are 15, not gonna, yeah. fifteen degrees. Okay. Yeah. So, so these, yeah, these in these degrees, Mars will sp- uh, will pass through three times. Yes. So, so this is the hot spot. A hot spot, basically. So Mars is going to retrograde back to eventually later in the year to fifteen degrees of Aries. So as soon as it reaches fifteen degrees of Aries while it's direct, which happens around July twenty fifth, yeah, Mars has entered the shadow phase, the pre- yes. pre-retrograde buildup phase, right? And so Mars, um, Mars is light. Mars is getting starting to get brighter and mm-hmm. brighter at this point, and it's getting slower and, and slower. slower. Mm. Yeah. So it's going to be, um, you know, one astronomical feature of Mars retrograde cycles is um, you'll see Mars for a large portion of the night, and Mars will be very bright. Very bright. Yeah. Look at note that Mercury actually passes Mars at fifteen, right around the time it hits its shadow. Yep. So yes. Mercury's at fifteen Cancer, sixteen Cancer squares Mars right around that point. There's a nice little little trigger as it like otherwise quietly passes would otherwise quietly pass over its shadow degree. Mars and Aries quiet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and Mercury Mars is that sort of fr- frustration or uh, you know heated arguments or kind of rash mm-hmm. thinking and conversation. Yeah, yeah. And it just contributes to a very loaded cardinal axis. Yeah, it just it's it's almost like a sparking it up mm-hmm. type of thing. Yeah. So 15 degrees, and and so by then we're in early August, and Mars is still going, but it starts slowing down. Yeah, I think it retrogrades at 28 degrees around. Well, but but before it goes retrograde, oh, you've got the retro, you've got it there, haven't you? Uh, yeah, it's almost there. So 28. Just worth noting, it's on August 7th that Venus finally makes it out of Gemini. That's a good point. So even though uh, Venus is only retrograde in Gemini for six weeks, um, we have four months of Venus in Gemini this year. Yeah. Yeah. So I hope you like uh, wordplay. Yes. (laughs) And that's one thing for people who are perhaps newer to astrology just to really understand is that a retrograde of a planet, Mercury, Venus, or Mars, tends to, you know, massively extend the amount of time that planet is spending in a particular sign. So Mm -hmm. in addition to the retrograde influence or emphasis, it's just like a really long Venus in Gemini, and as we're getting into now, really long Mars in Aries cycle. 
Yeah, which elongates a transit that otherwise should be short. Short, yeah. Uh, sort of like keeping a single note, like usually, like on a piano, you have the keys and you might press a key mm-hmm. once normally and then keep going, but it's like holding a the same and key. Hold. Yeah. For- it is, well, but th- I mean, that sounds unendurable. <laughs> Well, maybe it's a really nice key for some people. I don't they know. They might like the tone because Mars usually spends about six weeks in a sign, but we've got like six months or yeah. seven months yeah. of Mars in Aries. Right. Yeah. And so by mid-August, um, Mars has gotten to the end, toward the end of Aries, and that means it's tangling yes. with what's at the end of Capricorn. Hello, Mars square Saturn. Right. So Mars, just like it conjoined Jupiter, Pluto, Saturn- Earlier in the year. When it was in Cap, yeah. um, Now it's going to square Jupiter, Pluto, Saturn. Yeah. And this is like a funny feature, if you like, of the Mars retrograde in Aries this time around is that Mars is going to square Saturn shortly before it goes retrograde, then it's going to go retrograde, and it's going to make another square to Saturn. So it's very much- And when it's direct, it'll make a third square. It will make a third square um, a little later in the cycle. Oh, but 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 that'll be in a different sign. It'll different sign, yeah. I think. Yeah. So the Mars squares. So I guess a, a, a tone that's added into this Mars retrograde is that square to Saturn. Yeah. A tone of like frustration or restraint. Absolutely. Because Mars in Aries does not like to slow down or think about consequences or the long term or the future. And that's what Saturn in Capricorn is kind of all about. Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of acrimony there. Yeah. I think frustration you, well, is kind of a mild version. Yeah. Frustration is no longer strong enough. Yeah. And so uh, we'll wait till we talk about the actual station to get yeah. into talking about Mars's character in, in the retrograde phase. In the retrograde. So it looks like the station is about September 9th, September 10th at 28 degrees of Aries. And Sounds about right to me. Yep. 28 Aries is the spot. And Saturn at that point is at 25 Capricorns. So they're within about three degrees. Yeah. Yeah, they've done one square and then Mars is like, eh, let's turn this thing around. <laughs> yes, let's back up. That was that was so much fun. Let's do I want to do it again. <laughs> I mean, and there's a slowness, there's a need to kind of pause and and that's going there is going to be some frustration there. Yeah. Well, and so what's interesting is there may be a need for slowness, but that's not what Mars uh, retrograde stations often feel like. No. Um so Mars so Mars will be properly retrograde until November 13th. Right. So we've got um, nine weeks of Mars retrograde. Yeah. Um, and uh, just uh, just as um, v- I spoke earlier about how Venus's character, the quality of that planet uh, changes during the retrograde phase, Mars also changes. It's still Marsy. Um, Mars doesn't become the bringer of harmony. Uh, during uh-uh. the during the retrograde phase, he's not going to change his nature. <laughs> but what what a lot of people experience is uh, wild oscillations in energy levels, mm. um, like the 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 range being total lethargy and berserker fury. Mars historically, Mars retrogrades. You see Mars sort of. Uh, you see Mars dropping the rules of engagement. Yes. Um, people will tend to fight dirty. Mm-hmm. Um, if they fight, um, they will. there's a tendency for, for conflicts to be outside of proper and civilized bounds. Mm. Um, That's and a so beautiful it, way of putting it. 
Thank you. Um, and so there are, it, it's something to watch in yourself. Yeah. And just to remember that when Mars is, even if you're not having a big transit, if you're around people, like somebody is, and just, you know, um, taking into account that people might be in a month where they're going to be much more unreasonable than they usually are. Yes. Right. And not testing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not testing people if you're not uh, willing to engage in that kind of contest. Um, but yeah, the Mars-Saturn, uh, it's rough. It's a rough combination. It is a rough combination. And one of the things I see coming up in client consults when we're looking at like Saturn-Mars sort of transit combinations can be the low energy thing that you were speaking to, Austin, is, you know, Saturn does um, contain or restrict the fire of Mars. And so the, it's definitely that feeling of like, I need to do things, but maybe I don't have the energy or the spark or the motivation. <laughs> And there's often an undertone here with Saturn Mars around what is it that I actually want to put my energy into? Because, you know, sometimes you can just be tired and that's why you're flat, but other times it may be that the spark has gone out of this project or that partnership, for instance. And I think it's important to pay attention to those changing uh, levels of energy and motivation to, you know, you don't necessarily have to react to them right away, but I think it's it's good food for thought when Mars and Saturn are engaged in this uh testy combination yeah yeah and i I'm, I'm i'm my mind leads me back to what chris was saying earlier when we we're talking about mars conjunct saturn mm -hmm. which is the brake pedal and the gas yeah right. and so in this case we have a very strong gas and we have a very strong brake brake yeah we do um so there's there's you know there's there's the possibility of contest between those. It's not that one is in a clear position to uh, to win. To win. And I always think one key word that I often think of for a square aspect is this idea of adjustment. That And the image I always have is like two cars coming to a T intersection. And if they both try and go forward at the same time, we're going to get the, the horrible crash or, you know, bang. Mm -hmm. And so the adjustment is sort of modulating which is going to go and when, and that, you know, neither Mars nor Saturn necessarily wants to slow down for anyone else. So yeah. it's the negotiation of of priorities or, you know, if we've got a, only a limited amount of energy, what are we going to focus on first or second or third? Yeah. Um, there's also an element of like an endurance mm -hmm. with Mars totally. having a retrograde in Aries because like Mars in Aries is not normally something we associate with like an endurance type signification or aspect if we had to like rank rank them it would be a sprint yeah normally yeah. it's a sprint but having mars slow down and stay in aries for a long period of time and having that occurring within the context of a square with saturn is definitely um bringing up some challenges in terms of how do you keep up your endurance and how do you develop endurance when initially what you thought was just going to be a sprint yeah, I think that is really important too, as as well as the whole, like the Mars and Aries is usually a quicker kind of tone. So it, it's how do you keep up your endurance, but also how do you manage a high pace for a sustained period of time? Right. Because Mars and Aries is still sort of has that sense of, of wanting to kind of go. I know it's retrograde and I think we do have to obviously pull in the idea of going back over old territory. Yeah, changes in direction or needing yeah. to like swerve at one point to go back to something. Yeah, yeah. Circling back to finish or redo so that you can then carry forward because it's like that thing that would have been a sprint if you didn't have to like stop and turn around and go back over ground that you had previously tread 
yeah. tried it. But that's what the, the need to return to something and have a do-over is what can lead to the sense of needing to have more endurance. Yeah. Yeah. Because usually, yeah, usually Mars is, you know, five or six weeks in Aries and then yeah. hit the hit the couch in Taurus. Hit the couch in Taurus. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so as the as I said for the Venus retrograde, there's a general cycle quality of trying to understand what it is you really want, what is, you know, what is the the shape and face of your desire. Um, with Mars, I would say that the question is, what's really, what's worth fighting for? What's worth the effort? Yeah. Well, and what, what's not worth the effort? What he'll do on a die on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, what he'll do. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking last night. That was something we came up with. Yeah. Yeah, we were, that was going to be the, we were try, trying to come up with a title for this episode. And that was yeah. one of our proposed titles that didn't quite win out. <laughs> it's not, it's, it didn't yeah. win in the end. Year ahead 2020 forecast. What he'll do on a dial. Right. Doesn't have the same like ring to it. It doesn't. No. Uh, we're still working on that. I liked the hero's journey that you threw out at one point, Austin. I don't yeah. think you put that forward as a title, but you did mention that as a theme. The heroic. Yeah, I was talking about yeah how the um, struggles are much uh, struggles are redeemed by uh, uh, in, within a heroic context. You know, you can have all sorts of uh, horrible monsters and tragedies, but if if it's part of um, you know if it's part of a journey where you're actually getting somewhere, um, and teaching you things, then that's meaningful and worth it, and maybe necessary. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, it's. In, it's important to not fall into a survival horror walking dead narrative right. for your life where you're like, yep, I'm just making it to the next season. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the hero's journey is sometimes prompted by an event that like forces them to leave home and go outside of their boundaries where they wouldn't otherwise. Like at the beginning of like Star Wars. Yeah. Like the first Star Wars, you have like Luke, Luke loses his like adopted parents, basically, just like his aunt and yeah, and you, you even see that in the Harry Potter films as well, the idea of like, yeah, the the person having to go out and then there's a like a trial or a cross point where there's right. that feeling of being tested and then having to dig deep and it's the, uh, you know, the people that you then meet along the way and ultimately the journey to kind of find the the, the symbolic pot of gold. Mm -hmm. And then it always, the, the whole, this is Joseph Campbell's work, it's all, uh, and it's the archetypal myth that underpins all of the great stories and the end is the return where you make it home having discovered the thing learned the thing matured in some way mm -hmm. and then you you kind of come back and right Tolkien being a, yes perhaps the best uh, version of that yeah um and as my my friend Gordon White has pointed out Tolkien is a particularly nice model for the hero's journey because the hero you know the hobbit the hobbit um, isn't this amazing warrior? Isn't like no. you know? Doesn't slay the dragon single handedly? Wouldn't you know, but yes. nonetheless achieves something of great import. Yes, despite the fact that you know he's just a normal hobbit. Yes, you know a lot of us are just kind of normal hobbits. We're just you know? normal we human have, hobbits. <laughs> we don't have armies at our command. You know, there's big no. things happening all around the hobbits. Yes, right. There are giant clashes, but the hobbits got their job. Yeah, and that's important. Yeah, you know, it is. Uh, look at, I was just going back and looking at the planetary movements, just talking about like the hero's journey. Look at Mars where it starts off at the beginning of the year in Scorpio, and you can follow its little path around through the signs of the zodiac. It has that little period through Capricorn, then Aquarius, then Pisces. And then we get to Aries, and that's just like the rest of the year is Mars gets caught up in Aries. Yes. And sort of stuck there, like almost like quicksand or something, it where is. it's just treading water for this extended period 
for the rest of the year. Yeah. Yeah, and I think one of the other things we had touched on was the idea that the interaction of the Mars retrograde with Saturn in Capricorn, you know, the Saturn in Capricorn is a cycle that we've all been dealing with in in various ways over the last, you know, be two and a half years by the time we get to the second half of 2020. Mm -hmm. And the Mars retrograde comes in as like a complication or just this extra thing that you weren't expecting when we're almost at the end of that Saturn in Capricorn cycle. Right. Like a stumble before the end of the race. Yeah. Or just somebody throwing you a curveball when you're almost there and you you know, you've just got to grab it and keep going with it basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's the the last mile of the marathon. That's exactly Mm. it. And all of a sudden there's a hill you weren't expecting or I don't know, somebody's parked their car in the middle of the road and you've got to run around and it's an extra 50 meters, which is the last thing you want to do when you're running 40 kilometers. Yeah, and and so it's challenging. It is effort and it requires you to dig deep at a time when you're already maybe a little bit depleted because if you if it's the last mile of the marathon, you've already run 25 miles. Yeah, you're not uh, your you're glycogen stores are not <laughs> very uh, low. <laughs> are non-existent. Yeah. And so, so that that's kicks where the off, endurance yeah. um, basically end of the first week of September. Yeah. yeah. And September is pretty dominated by Mars Saturn. Yeah, so it looks like the station at 28 Aries of Mars around September 8th, September 9th. Uh, then Saturn goes retrograde, or, or sorry, Mars is retrograde and hits the second exact square with Saturn. Uh, it looks like around 29 se- September, I think. Yeah, September 29th ish, around 25 Aries, squaring Saturn at 25 Capricorn. And of course, right at the same time, Saturn is stationing direct yes. in Capricorn. For yes. the final time, that's that's the final station. So that's actually super notable. That's the final station in Capricorn for like the next couple of decades. Yeah, next thirty years, three decades, yeah, twenty eight yeah. years probably. Yes. Yeah. So that is the final like exclamation mark of Saturn's journey through Capricorn over the past two or three years, and it happens right around the same time that Mars, which is retrograde, squares Saturn at the same exact time. Yeah, and coincidentally, non-coincidentally, Pluto uh, also stations direct within the week, and Mars is also close to square with Pluto. Very nice. So we have both that Saturn and Pluto, which Mars are Mars is generally squaring both um, both two stations, and that's uh, and the Sun has moved into Libra by the end of September. Um, and is now again big cardinal stuff. Yes. Right. So we have the sun in a cardinal sign, Mars in a cardinal sign, Saturn and Pluto and Jupiter, and the moon uh, one third of the time. Yes. Big cardinal stuff. I like that. That could be that would be a good t- title. <laughs> big cardinal year. energy. Big yeah. cardinal mood. Yes. And it is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so continuing on with the retrograde of Mars, which is super long. And that, yeah, that brings us into the fourth quarter. Yep. Oh, yeah. so we, yeah, so we should yeah. not. Skip I just don't know. Yet. Is there anything else in this quarter that we I mean, want to talk about? It, I mean, it is the main theme. We we sort of called this, I think, like the Mars Saturn. Yeah, it's pretty dominating. Yeah, what I wrote down last night, where we were trying to outline this, was just the Mars retro in Aries, entering that shadow in late July, stationing retrograde in early September, squaring Saturn, Saturn going back into Capricorn July first, and then Saturn stationing in Capricorn late September as being the main main things. Yeah, and I think that the date piece, like the Mars, the first Mars Saturn square is like August twenty fourth. 
Mars Station retrograde, 9th of September, and then second Mars Saturn Square, end of September. So it really feels like a six-week period where we're just very much in the thick of that dominating theme, as you said, Austin. The theme of like stop and go. Stop and go, probably maybe a bit more stop at that point or slow down, hit the road bump, you know, and it's like, okay, we've got to like pull back and reassess. Right. Yeah. Hit in the brakes really suddenly because Mars is like pushing forward and it's almost out of Aries and then all of a sudden it just slows down. Yeah itself in turns retrograde, but also hits Saturn at the same time. Yeah. Thinking you're getting through something and then realizing, oh, we've, we've got to pull back for a moment. Yeah. 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 And when there are going to be things that come up and it's like, oh, I got to deal with this. Yeah. Or this is going to take longer than I thought. Yeah. I'm not going to get it done as soon as I expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And okay. so. All right. Beginning of the fourth quarter. Quarter of the game. Quarter four. Right. Transition. And you know, in sports, the third quarter is always the toughest quarter. Okay. Fourth. No, no, the third is the hard, hard one. Oh, the fourth really? is when you're bringing it home. Okay. Like in a relay race, oh, okay. for instance, like in a relay when you – like the 4 by 100 relay, the slowest runner is usually in the third position. Oh, okay. The fastest runners go in first and fourth position. Okay. But the, the third – there's something about like that third piece, three out of four, is like – we're not there yet. Like, the, are we there yet? We've just got to mm. keep the, going. The middle of the work week. Yeah. We're towards the end, but it's not Friday. We're not, it's not Friday. Right. Yeah. Um, there you go. Remember discovering my love of sports. Oh, yeah. <laughs> More uh, sporting metaphors. Okay, so well, October is where we're starting. October. Right. Here we go. Mars retrograde. What a surprise. Yeah, and we we begin with a, with a full moon in uh, Aries. Just some more car- big cardinal mood. Indeed. Because both the lunations this month are cardinal. Yeah. Full moon in Aries, new moon in Libra, mid-month, and then there's actually a second lunation in Taurus at the very end of the month, a full moon. And we get some Mercury action, Mercury retro action coming through. Our third Mercury retrograde of the year, Mercury stations retrograde on the 13th of October. Yeah. Funnily enough, at 11 Scorpio, which is where Mercury in 2019 stationed direct. Mm, Okay. Which is just a weird quinky-dink. And so Mercury stations retrograde within 24 hours of the perfect Mars retrograde sun uh, opposition. opposition. Oh, the midpoint. And that Mercury retrograde is ruled by Mars. Yeah. And so um, if you thought this Mercury retrograde in Scorpio was spicy, just wait. (laughs) Until the super spicy, super hot. Okay. Note, note that this one will be um, covering the weeks leading up to the American uh, presidential election. Yeah, it's also opposite Uranus, like on that station. Yeah, it's a great point. Nine degrees. Uranus yeah. is at nine Taurus, and Mercury is stationing retrograde at eleven Scorpio, and this is like right in the middle of October. This is like the the October surprise. Yeah. October surprise. But yeah, this is the October surprise. Super duper. That is fun. Uh, so Mercury retrogrades, general statements, uh, usual things about like miscommunication or reviewing old communications or re- retooling old, old things. This one, though, that Uranus opposition is throwing in a major sort of unexpected disruptions type signature. Yeah, and the the, the ruler of this um, Mercury is uh, a... a, a Retro Mars opposite yeah, it's the sun. Retro Mars, okay. square Pluto. Oh, so that's actually square Pluto ha- as well. That's yeah. halfway through then the retrograde yes. cycle, literally right at this point. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's a theme of contentiousness that it draws in as well. Totally, because the sky is quite dominated by oppositions and squares. Yeah. Right. So on this day, when Mercury is uh, stationing retrograde, 
when the sun rises um, that morning, Mars will be setting over the western horizon. And when the sun sets around yes. that time, Mars will be rising. Yes. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. interesting symbolism. It is interesting. Yeah. That they're kind of trading off. Right. And they refuse to share the sky with one Yeah. Another. They absolutely do not want to be in the same place. Yeah. All right. So that, and then Mercury retrogrades back. The station direct of, of Mercury actually happens in late Libra. I mean, uh, the. Half, the halfway point looks like it's at two degrees of Scorpio around October 25th. Is that correct? Conjunction? That sounds right. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Just a halfway point for the retrograde. For the retrograde, that, the Mercury conjunct the sun. Yeah. Like it's so important. I feel like people focus a lot on the retrograde, retrograde station and the direct station, but that conjunction with the sun is such an important turning point um, in the overall cycle of when things start to be resolved that were initially thrown out of whack at the retrograde station, the first station. Yes. Uh, it's just useful to, to note. Yeah, it's the, the heart of the purification process or combustion process. Right. Yeah, and I think we'd mentioned that in one of our 2019 monthly episodes that, yeah, once Mercury gets past that conjunction with the sun, it right. does make it – it's not that it, the retrograde is over, but you're starting to get into more of the the cleanup side of the Mercury retrograde. Yeah, so I like to mention it just because it's helpful and sometimes if like it, you've gotten really hit hard yeah. by a Mercury retrograde, giving some hope or some time frame about when you might start to see some resolution. Yeah, just a shift in the tone. So yeah. it's about the 25th, 26th of October when that happens, and then Mercury eventually stations direct around November 4th, November 5th, 2020, at 26 Libra. Yeah, in a nice square to Saturn. Oh, right. Very exact square where Saturn is at 26 Capricorn. Lovely. Yeah, so that'll be a, you know, the Mercury retrograde's over, but with the square to Saturn, we've got that sense of... I don't know whether it's a heaviness or a pause. We've really got to do this properly. We've got to think deeply about uh, what we're trying to bring forward. Right. So if the start of the Mercury retrograde was opposite Uranus and has um, a sense of something unexpected, an unexpected disruption, as well as the contentiousness of the sun opposing Mars and being halfway through its retrograde cycle at that point, yeah, the direct station um, squaring Saturn, what is the primary keyword we would use for that, that there's a sense of um, restructuring things or slowing down? Yeah, well, it could be, yeah, one, you may find the answer to the question might be, oh, I really can't do this. Correct. The answer right. might be no. Um, or it might be, if I do want to do this, this is, this is going to, this is going to take a long time. This is a big undertaking. Right. Um, There's a cautious quality, you know, I think, with, to that. When, where you see planets configured to the direct station degree of Mercury, that's part of what moving, you know, that's what moving forward looks like. So yes. moving forward means looking right at Saturn. Yes. Right. Which could be, this is going to be slow or that, you know what, maybe not. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, maybe not like in terms of maybe I'm not going to do this. Yeah, maybe type the, of thing. maybe I, you know, maybe it was delayed so that I could realize that I don't want to do this. I don't want to do it. Yeah, so there's a caution or a restraint mm -hmm. quality mm -hmm. there. Uh, yeah, and, and, and so, also like a discernment quality. That's a great word. We've talked about that with a Mercury Saturn thing mm -hmm. recently about how Mercury Saturn combinations can be very discerning, which can be very positive if used in a constructive sense, uh, but also sometimes if taken too far can be more negative. But it, maybe this would be because it's closer to the direct station can be more of a positive sense of of positive discernment. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, constructive. Maybe say accepting a negative. Yeah. Or like a thoughtfulness or a diligence. Like I've done my research and actually that's yeah. not for me. Like rejecting that which is no longer useful. Yeah. Um, especially if the Mars Uranus opposition or the Mercury Uranus opposition at the beginning was like a more of an experimental phase. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard October. <laughs> I think October is my least favorite month so far. Uh, how is yeah. November once Mercury stations direct on the third? Well, and so ten days after that, we get Mars stationing direct. Yes, okay. yes, Aries. which is definitely a welcome shift. It's preferred. Preferred. Well, and as you were saying, Austin, you were spelling out the three different sort of chapters or qualities to the Mars in Aries period, and with mm -hmm. that Mars station direct brings us into the third and final piece. Right. And so um, yeah, there's yeah, a couple things. We get our third Jupiter-Pluto opposition the day before that on the 12th. Jupiter-Pluto conjunction. conjunction. Yeah. What did I yeah. say? Opposition. Oh, oh, yeah. I've been talking for a while. <laughs> a little, a little I have approximately 1,700 words left. Yes. Right. <laughs> the, word count. The word indicator limit. is approaching E, but yeah. not yet. Not quite. But yeah, we have the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction, exact for a third time on third the 12th. And, final. Mm -hmm. yeah. and then we get our Mars direct station on the 13th. And it's important to note that um, a Mars station... Even though we like that it's direct, um, it's still it's a stationing and intensification of Mars. Yes, mm -hmm. and so Mars direct stations are often very contentious. Ve yes, it's like all the pent up energy is now starting to. It's got to be burnt off a bit. Yeah. So, and it'll take a little bit, but Mars will. Mars starts picking up speed and getting back to something approximating normal motion uh, after that, which we like. That is, it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm just advancing it. It's, it's sitting on that degree at 15 Aries, like pretty much all of November. Yeah, it takes yeah. a couple weeks to get moving. Yeah. yeah, it is pretty much sort of just paused, just hanging there in the sky. Right. Be quite red um, in the in the. I mean, for sky. some people, yeah. if that's configured well, let's say by trines, if you've got stuff in like mid Leo or mid Sagittarius, could be a positive, like empowering, energetic type thing, having Mars station and start moving forward again uh, in favorable aspects to some of your natal planets. But for people that have, let's say, cardinal planets in the mid middle part of that sign, that could be more of an irritating type influence to have it there hitting the same degree for an entire month. Yeah, because the whole month of November, it's just at sixteen or f 15 or 16 degrees of Aries, either retrograde or direct. Yeah. 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 So that if you do have planets at those degrees, there's a, you know, that's a, it, if it's an intensification and Mars is heat, you know, that can be aggravation or frustration or things boiling over as well. Yeah. And it's going to depend on what kind of planets you have there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, all right, so that's starting to take us. We're in November here, and uh, Mercury retro, Mars station direct. We start to get back into a new Pluto, yeah, eclipse season. Yeah, we that's... get. Um, oh we... yeah, we do have the eclipses kicking in then. Yeah, and so they're earlier now. Yeah, yeah, they're creeping backwards. Creeping. Yeah, and so yeah, we November have thirty. We have a. Uh, it, it's not a total eclipse, but it's a proper uh, eclipse in Gemini. On uh, November thirtieth, so we're fully in the Gemini Sagittarius eclipse series after, by this point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And so, one thing that's interesting is that this one, which occurs on November thirtieth, um, partial eclipse of the Moon in Gemini, occurs at eight degrees, and the Sun's at eight degrees of Sag, 
And it's interesting is that there are two royal stars um, that are within a degree and a half of both the sun and moon's position. The sun will be very close to Antares, which is very bright red. And then the moon will be right next to Aldebaran, which is also bright red. Bright red, both red stars. And so generally speaking... The you know the eclipse star the eclipse stars um, the um, the royal stars of which there are four are just powerful they yes. they give um, greater strength yes not necessarily for good or evil but they the raw they power. intensify yeah um, especially when we're thinking about it in a, mon- a mundane context like mm. this. Yeah, that's yeah. quite a signature. I, I was quite struck by when I looked at that. I was like, wow. And it's not just a regular lunation, but an eclipse. So stirring up of themes to do with how that raw power is used. Well, and, you know, yeah, uh, it, moving beyond the obvious example of the what will be the recent presidential, oh, presidential election, election. Point, yeah, there's a lot of stuff, as we said earlier, about power and thrones, et cetera, et cetera, that runs, uh, th- those themes run throughout the year. And then at the very end of the year, you know, we have not just a lunation, but an eclipse um, w- involving two royal stars. Yes. A lot of interest in, you know, who wins the power games, the game of musical thrones. And again, not just for the United States. Yeah, I think that's a really beautiful point, and I know we're going to we're getting getting to that as we get towards the end of the year. But the the whole idea about the Jupiter Saturn conjunction, you know, shifting into a new sign, is that it is this transition in in power sources or um, the concentration of power, if you like. It's sort of ch- there's a changing and a transition, which can be very unsettling, you know, as we are going through that. Yeah, and historically, the the cusp years around. A Jupiter Saturn pivot, see big changes in not only who is in power, but what patterns are in power. Yeah. And it's it's a fluctuating energy. And and when you say the years around it, you base it's basically 2020 and 2021. Oh, in 2019, yeah. things are obviously it's ha- it's kicking off already or has kicked off if, this year. If you, you know, if yeah. you look pay attention to national or international news, like it's a lot of big questions about power. Yeah. And do we decide that the um, the solar eclipse in June that is a full eclipse in Sag is the first one, right? Sorry, the solar eclipse in June is a uh, Cancer. Yeah, that's the the annular in Cancer. It's the last okay. one in Cancer. There's a there's a super a, wimpy um, um, lunar lunar the eclipse. One. The Sag okay. was a like a, a low grade. I was just trying to decide if that was a full one because it's far enough from the nodes, and if that would have any connection with the eclipse that we're definitely getting uh, in. November in Gemini. The, the yeah. Yeah. I mean there's a there's a connection I guess just in the sense that it's like Gemini Sag yeah. is being activated. Well it's just yeah. we're, we're moving into and since the nodes are already firmly in those signs uh we're moving into that axis being activated more in people's charts definitely by this time in November. But I was just trying to get a sense of if there would be any preview of that already headed in that direction by the summer. I think From there'll June. be a whiff but there's so much other stuff in the foreground. Mm-hmm. Like all that yeah. cardinal stuff is so dominant and loud. I agree. Uh, I don't think we'll have much att- much time to pay attention to um, to that whiff of an eclipse. Whereas when we get to November, we've done our Mars retrograde. Um, we did a very intense October. Um, now we're getting a pair of proper eclipses in Gemini yeah. and Sagittarius. And yeah. I think that's key too, that we we actually are going through the whole eclipse season and both the eclipses are on the Gemini-Sag axis. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the I mean, one um, that follows on December 14th um, is another, um, I be, is it annual or total? Uh, the, but there's a there's a very- uh, It's like a, within a couple of degrees. Yeah, it's within about three degrees and in the 11 minutes. Of the nodal axis. Like the lunation is at 23 Sag with the nodes um, at almost 20. Yeah, so it's um, very, uh, very intense eclipse. Yeah. Okay. So people are going to have to start paying attention to their Gemini Sag Sagittarius axis. axis, especially in terms of that pair of houses. Because one of the things that came up that was interesting when we did our houses episode that we just recorded that we're releasing in November and December was just how closely tied together the topics are between pairs of houses that are opposite to each other. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and how they exchange significations and themes. Um, but nowhere, I feel like, does that become more clear uh, when you start having eclipses and an axis of two houses in your chart and you start seeing the exchange between those topics Absolutely. as they get activated or brought to the forefront in your life. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And the eclipses do have a really unique and potent way of activating that those pairs of houses. They mm -hmm. sort of stir things up, things that might have been, you know, tucked in the corner or under the rug or what have you, just brings it all out. Right. And then you've got to sort of sift through it all. Mm -hmm. um, and some of it you'll enjoy doing and some of it you'd rather not do. But the point with the eclipses is you've got to go through all of it. Yeah. yeah. I like the word churn. Yeah, of course. <laughs> in relationship to eclipses. Churn. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Part Churning of it is good. Is the, um, the 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 myth of where uh, Rahu and Ketu came from was yes. the, the churning of the great ocean, but it's it's more it's it's not just a little mix it up. It's a it's a deep churn. It is. You're right. Yeah, and it's all the stuff has to come out for that to and happen. That's how you make the butter. Well, you have to. I mean, butter's fantastic. <laughs> I like good butter. quality butter is. Oh and my so gosh. what's interesting is uh, so just timing wise. So big eclipse on December fourteenth. Uh, and then in the next week, Saturn yes. and Jupiter both ingress into Aquarius. So let's Here just comes like the pause next, the for next that. epoch. Because that is the end of Saturn in Capricorn. Done. Right. December 20th. December 20th. So right at the end of the year. Yeah. Nice. And there's the eclipse. The eclipse is at 23 Sag. Jupiter moves out of, you know, a sign that it doesn't love being in. Still going to be co-present with Saturn, but again, the dignity change. Yeah, Jupiter is happier in Aquarius. Much than happier. Capricorn. Yeah, and I, most importantly, they're conjoined. They conjunct right there. Like they get a proper conjunction before the end of the year. Yeah, and they that's, do, don't they? they yeah, yeah. Oh, that's what they do. They, as soon it's, as Jupiter goes in. Oh, that's so interesting. So it's on the solstice. Yes, it, that's it's, the other thing. It's the solstice. And so our two solstices this year are an eclipse and the Saturn-Jupiter conjunction. They're they're very potent. It's a lot of. It's a big year. Transition and turning it's a points. Lot of big, it's a big year for the world. Yeah. So uh, Saturn-Jupiter <laughs> conjunction at 21, and we're not going to get another one of those, of course. Like Jupiter keeps sailing through Aquarius after that? Yes. Okay. Let's double check, but I'm quite sure. Uh, yeah, I believe that it's a, a single hit. Oh yeah, Jupiter because Jupiter flies through Aquarius and actually goes all the way into Pisces. Yeah, before yeah. retrograding. But that's that's for next year's episode. Okay. Um, yeah, we're getting ahead <laughs> of ourselves. It's a single hit. It's a single hit. Yeah, it's just a one-off. And that's all we need. That's the Jupiter Saturn conjunction, the new element coming in, the start of the next sort of two hundred or so year chapter. Yeah. So we had a we we're talking about this at the beginning of this show, but I guess it's worth returning to at the end since we're at the end of this and the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction is not just the start of a new 20-year cycle, but it's also the end of a 20-year cycle. 
Uh, so we had the last Jupiter Saturn conjunction was in 2000 in Taurus. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that was one of the weird ones that was that suddenly went back to the old elemental triplicity. But the one prior to that in like uh, 8081 was in Libra. Libra. Yeah. yeah. And the one in 2000 using the mean calculation was the first one in air. So um, taking the different methods of calculating when does the – so depending on which method we use, the 200-year cycle started in the early 80s, in 2000, or uh, the end of 2020 – they all the first time that they all agree is December twenty first, twenty twenty. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so there's no more like, are we in the past? Or are the we future? there? Are we, are yes. we fighting over air? Are we fighting over Earth? Yeah. It's like, nope. It's all air. This yes. is the point where um, the different methods all come together. Come together. Right. Yeah. Which is huge. Yeah. So normally Jupiter Saturn conjunctions mark out twenty year cycles, mm-hmm. and then you know somewhere between like one hundred and fifty and about two hundred and twenty years, those Jupiter Saturn conjunctions. So they all happen. The theory is in, in the signs of the same element for a couple of hundred years, mm-hmm. and then we've had this transition period going on, as Austin's saying, over the last couple of Jupiter Saturn conjunctions. But everybody's agreeing now that, and that's where we're getting this whole idea of the new epoch, the major change at like the macro level as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's all interesting to note and to be aware of collectively. Mm-hmm. From a personal level, we're now into an Aquarius focus. So yeah. you're, you're not that, I mean, Pluto's still in Capricorn, but all of this extreme focus on Capricorn completely subsides. Yeah, the, right. uh, once and um, by the time we get to December 21st, 2020, Mars is still in Aries. Of course um, it is. <laughs> but uh, in a couple weeks, Mars will leave Aries. Yeah. And then, you know, we're, we're, we're the cardinal signs just aren't getting. It's hello, fix signs. Yeah, they're, they're not getting tasked with the heroic uh, journeys. That they have had. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's the, the emphasis will be much more fixed and mutable. It'll be more distributed rather Yeah, and than... more evenly distributed because it has been a bit extreme all in Capricorn. Yeah. It's almost too bad that it ends. It happens so late in the year because it's like that turning point happens right at the end of 2020, but so much of the uh, result of that we're not going to feel until 2021. Yes. Yeah. The And 2021 is very Saturn and Jupiter in Aquarius, square Uranus in uh, Taurus. Taurus. So it's a totally different kettle of fish. And I think, is that a very weird saying? <laughs> no, I always love it. <laughs> yeah, that's one of your, that's one of is your, that one of my Aussie right, your, your trademark. Okay. Going on a totally different kettle of fish. Uh, yeah, we could put that, we all need our shirts. You could have your river of blood, your juicy river of blood. That's like a mashup. Anyway, that was a Twitter conversation. Uh, but I think it's important for people to know that when we get to the end of 2020, we get to the end of this stuff that we've been dealing with for the last few years. Yeah. Uh, the Cardinal stuff is over the and the Saturn shift Pluto into fixed signs. And yeah. Because it's not just, it's it's Saturn and Jupiter transitioning into the fixed signs, but then also with the eclipses and the nodes moving into the mutable signs, like that's a shift as well. Absolutely. The mutable signs have just been really dealing with Neptune for the last little while. Right. So that'll be different for mutable as well. Right. Yeah. And the mutable um, eclipses will run all through 2021. Okay. Yeah. There might be a change at the end of the year. I'm, I'm so, and the keywords I usually use for that are just great beginnings and endings and bouncing back and forth between beginnings and endings in those two houses of your chart that they're falling in. The eclipses? Yeah. 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 So the so Gemini Sag. Gemini and Sag. Yeah. Beginnings and endings. Right. And I do find with the eclipses, they're a little more potent. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit more significant or a little bit, yeah. They're, they're important. Yeah. Yeah. But that's December. Jupiter yep. Saturn. 
And then, yeah, that's that's the show. <laughs> and that's the end of quarter four. four. That That's the end of the year. Just looking at all of this, Mercury-Sun conjunction on the 19th, the same day that Jupiter changes signs. It's so weird that they change signs almost simultaneously, Jupiter and Saturn. Yeah, mm -hmm. it is a little unusual. And then I think, as, as Austin was saying, right on the solstice, which really does, because the energy of a solstice is quite charged anyway. Mm -hmm. And then to have something else really significant happening within 24 hours of a solstice is just, as you said, for the mundane thing, it, it really does change the dynamic. Yeah, it's really important. Yeah. Now, just to speak very briefly to the Saturn and Jupiter in Aquarius, as we were saying earlier, when Saturn went into Aquarius for that preview period in the mm -hmm. second quarter, it's not lighter in an absolute sense, but it's lighter relative to what we've been dealing with. Right. Uh, and so I'm certainly looking forward to Jupiter going into Aquarius. Yeah. I'm interested in seeing some of the technological changes that that's going to yeah. signal in the long term. Yeah. Because, like, even just a Jupiter Saturn conjunction. Uh, in and of itself, where a Jupiter transit or a Saturn transit through Aquarius might indicate some of that, but having the conjunction taking place in that sign and having that open up a whole series of 200 years of air sign uh, conjunctions between those two outer planets is going to be really interesting and, and hard to anticipate. One of the things that was brought up in a recent episode were some of the discussions about whether there are sort of game-changing technological developments that can't fully be anticipated what the world-changing uh, implications of them would be. Like if something like um, AI, for example, was discovered, if, if artificial yeah. intelligence can be created and some of the projections surrounding that in the next like 20 to 40 years and, and what that would in, what the implications would be for that in the world. Yeah, I mean, to speak very briefly to the technology component, mm -hmm. when you look back to some of the previous cycles when we've gone into this air period, there has been developments in technologies relative to the time. Mm -hmm. So the previous time, which I think is like late 1100s through to the 1300s, is that the last off the top of my head? Yeah, um, mean conjunction, it's about 12 to 14. 12 to 14. One of the things that happened then was uh, new technologies around how to create paper right. were developed. Now, that sounds almost antiquated, and I can't say that word at this point. Antiquated. <laughs> antiquated. Yeah. yeah. It sounds very ancient to us sure. with our modern minds. But at the time, to be able to more easily able to produce paper mm -hmm. allowed you know, distribution of ideas to take off, for right. instance. That's just one little example. Yeah, there are lots of uh, language-oriented innovations, yes. very mm -hmm. consistent. Yeah. Um, uh, politic Macro-politically, uh, there's almost always uh, a massive decentralization mm -hmm. of power. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Like the dispersing with the air. Right. So beginning, so the beginning of the 12 to 14 period, you get the um, – the the Mongols, mm -hmm. um, which Coming break down. up a lot of uh, a lot of empire, yeah, um, and they leave some things, but like you know, they come into China and rule it for a little bit, but that doesn't last. No, it's really the the function is breaking up existing structures, yeah, and then um, eight hundred years before that. Uh, you have the the end of the which is basically four hundred to six hundred yeah. mean uh, mean conjunction. That's the end of the Western Roman Empire, which yeah. is again a breaking up, up of a centralization. Of a concentrated eight hundred years before that. Um, especially if you look at the apparent conjunctions um, within the mean conjunction cycle, you have um, Alexander's conquest, mm. which um, you know Alexander didn't leave a giant empire. 
um, it's a year out within a year of his death, it had broken up into four, but he yeah. broke up a giant dominant Persian empire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you have a very consistent theme of moving from a unipolar or bipolar, yes. um, you know, macro power dynamic to a much more multipolar dynamic. Yeah. True. Which is really good. Which is good for trade, right? Yes. That, that's what creates, you know, it's networks rather than towers. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great visual, actually. Um, and even in the 20-year span between like the last air conjunction in 1980-81 to 2000, we saw the emergence of like personal computers in mm -hmm. everybody's houses and the emergence of the internet during that time period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So then we had the interlude of like back to an earth sign from 2000 to 2020. And now we're in the next phase of of what is the next thing that emerges yeah. on that level of like a global scale of of impact. Yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting about the the 2001 is that you have a, a real uh, you have a conflict between the apparent conjunction and the mean. The mean conjunction was in Gemini, um, and so if you're if you're looking at the 20 years and saying okay the pattern's going to be Gemini, yeah, that's not wrong. It's, right, yeah. but if you're looking at it through Taurus, you're like, okay, back to back to you know war for territory, back back to trying to dominate the Earth. Like, there's a lot of that. There's that a lot got of that started, too. Um, you know, um, back to Iraq for the United States. You know, all yeah. that. Like, it, you had both running. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's the in my thinking, the um, everybody agrees now. The different methods all agree. Once we get to 2020, is really important. And that's a beautiful piece, actually. That if everybody agrees, and there's a sort of it's more congruent, or that's more of a clear symbolism that and, we'll see coming through. Yeah, and I think what are you on a societal. About? Well, I was, was going to say, and what I think you're saying, Austin, is basically that the age of Aquarius is about to begin, and <laughs> peace, was peace is about to break out, and we're all about to start like dancing. Oh, I'm, I, I, think, I think people are going to be ecstatic about the results of the uh, the presidential election in the United States. I think um, it won't just be some people that win. I think everybody will be really happy with it during those <laughs> October November transits. The that Mars were so Square Saturn. We yeah, Mars Square <laughs> right. Saturn. Um, one is peace and the other is harmony. Mm. Right. I so, hope everyone is detecting right. the dripping in sarcasm <laughs> tone that is coming off here. Yeah, I, I hope. Just to be explicit, we can only yeah. hope. Yeah, I do. In case people were taking us too literally. But one and one thing I would just say about oh, know, Jupiter Saturn, like as Chris said, it's probably not um, everything solved. Mm -hmm. What I'd say is that it'll be easier. Uh, it will be more natural and easier and, and more necessary to look to actually agree on the problems facing us mm -hmm. collectively right now. Because part of the issue for now in the last several years is problems can't get solved because people don't even agree on what the problems problem is are, exactly right? yeah um and i think that the saturn jupiter co-presence in aquarius will will force the like no this is really an issue yes so at least the agreement you're right you can't solve a problem until you've all agreed that it is a problem yeah there in in, in something even resembling a democracy you need consensus correct and well, i'm just remembering also that the conjunction at 0 degrees but also um how close that square is to Uranus and just the idea of like emerging disruptive technologies and new technologies that emerge that disrupt existing structures. Like we've seen a little bit of that with just sim really simple things like the emergence of like mobile devices and like uh, app apps like um, Uber, like Lyft yeah. and like yeah. coming in and just like decimating entire industries like the taxi industry or what have you. Yeah. 
but and that was um, that um, that wave hit during the, primarily during the Saturn Uranus oppositions. Mm-hmm. That w- it was during that 2007 to 2010 window when people started having smartphones. Yeah, right. Uh, so just imagine that on much of a more long term. Uh, field or more long-term timeline of a 20-year period getting started with the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction squaring Uranus. Yeah. And And to that point, Chris, yeah, Jupiter leaves the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction and moves straight into the square with Uranus, which is January of 2021. Right. And even Saturn starts making his way slowly towards Uranus. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. So that's there'll be lots of juicy stuff to talk about in next year's year ahead forecast. Definitely. And well, we will have to save some of that then for for your next visit and for 2021. <laughs> yes. We've already got to start making plans. Yes. Yeah. Busy schedules. But yeah. Well, yeah. it's going to be a busy year. Uh, you guys will be at conferences. You got Norwalk and then we're all going to meet up again in person here in Denver September basically for the ESAR conference. Yes. Scheduled oh, for, right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not for podcasting. Like, were we doing something in September? Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. Because that's it's, here. Yeah. It's scheduled for that lovely Mars station. Uh, <laughs> right. Yes. Indeed. <laughs> um, yeah. And a question in the chat box Who else is coming to ESAR 2020? So let us know via the comments below or in the chat box if you're watching live. Because uh, we'll be all teaching together. Yeah, um, we're going to get together and do that workshop on um, synthesizing modern and ancient astrology. Yeah, I think that's the Wednesday pre-conference. Well, and that's kind of necessary in a nice Jupiter-Saturn thing. Yeah. Because, you we know- We can take our inspiration the- from that rather than Mars. <laughs> yeah, well, really over the past 40 years in the long term and over the past 20 years, that's been the timeline for the emergence and the revival of traditional astrology and its repopularization in- just contemporary astrology, but then also those tensions. And that's a very like kind of Jupiter-Saturn thing in and of itself, um, figuring out when to stick with the tradition versus when to integrate and use things that are like modern or contemporary developments and the tensions between those two. Yeah. Yeah. Recognizing both the the limits of tradition and innovation. Right. So that's a really good topic and theme then for us to do that workshop on in September. Yes, that'd be good. Uh, all right, guys. Well, I think that's it then for our overview of the astrology of 2020. Amazing. We did it. We did it. Four did it. quarters. Well, now we have to actually do it. Now we, have, now to- we actually have to live it, but we've at least uh, been we able to- We talked about it. We talked about it. <laughs> We're yeah. all a little bit better prepared now. Basically. Well, was, an interesting exercise also is to come back and listen. I know somebody in the chat was saying they just yeah. went back and listened to the 29 forecast that we did a year ago. And yeah. that is always nice to then go back afterwards and see how your lived experience was of a forecast and some of the things that you're anticipating or some of the major transits, not just in your own life, but in the people around you and how that's worked out. Because sometimes when you're right in the middle of it, you don't know exactly how it's going, but it's only in retrospect that you can fully contextualize like how that actually played out in your life. Yeah, there's a saying that the the meaning of a story is not clear until you know the end. Yes. Right. I like that. I think that's Walter Benjamin. Okay. Oh, I just remembered one of our Jupiter and Capricorn examples. It's very random. Who was that? Walt Disney, I think. Oh, was he? Okay. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. How did we forget that? Anyway. 
Cool. All right. All right, okay. guys. Well, thanks to our audience of all the patrons who joined us today for the recording of this episode of the Astrology Podcast. We appreciate it and who has supported our work here since it's allowing us to do forecasts like this and to mm-hmm. get together in person and do a better version of the forecast than the usual ones that we're able to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, if this works out and if you enjoyed it, then let us know and we'll think about doing it again sometime next year. Yeah. Any other closing words, final thoughts? I would just in my typical way, I would just say thanks to everyone for listening and following along with us all year. It's Mm -hmm. really been so fun to do and to get to know so many of you at different events. So just thanks to all our listeners, basically. It's like our end of year. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks. And we look forward to seeing many of you in person at conferences over the course of the next year. Yeah. Throughout 2020. Cool. All right. Well, that's it for this episode of the Astrology Podcast. So thanks a lot for listening and we will see you again next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks to the patrons and sponsors who helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through a page on Patreon.com, including patrons Christine Stone and Nate Craddock, as well as the AstroGold Astrology app available at astrogold.io, the Portland School of Astrology at portlandastrology.org, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs at honeycomb.co, and also the International Society for Astrological Research, which is hosting an astrology conference in Denver, Colorado, September 10th through the 14th, 2020. And you can find out more information about that at esar2020.org. And the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening in Seattle, May 21st through 25th, 2020. And you can find out more information about that at norwac.net. For more information about how to sign up to become a patron of the podcast, go to patreon.com slash astrologypodcast.